think now we're all set to go to Three River Stadium. Here's Nellie King. From Three River Stadium with Bob Prince, this is Nellie King to greet you for the first game of the final three games of the 1973 regular season between the Pirates and the Montreal Expos here at Three River. The Pirates won back of the New York Mets, the Eastern Division winners, need three wins here against Montreal. That's the feeling of the Pirates. Mets were rained out today against the Cubs. They've got a couple of doubleheaders coming up tomorrow and Sunday, and that is always a big problem. Five clubs, however, still remain in the race with just three days remaining in the Eastern Division season, and the Expos are fighting for their lives here tonight. Their magic number is one, one more loss, and they are out of the race. But what a year they've had. The Mets, the Pirates, St. Louis, Montreal, and Chicago all have a chance to wind up in a tie for first place. I'll have the starting lineup for tonight's ballgame after I remind you that this game is brought to you in part by... AFRTS. Seriously, let's get around and tell you exactly what happened on Thursday night. The Pirates lived through a familiar nightmare and an unfamiliar one. The Pirates lost a game they couldn't really afford to lose on a wild pitch, and that was certainly nothing new for them. When Chris Zachary wild-pitched home Greg Luzinski in the 13th inning to give Philadelphia a 3-2 victory over the box, it brought back memories of the ninth inning of last year's final playoff game with Cincinnati when Bob Moose wild pitched home the deciding run. But the unusual feature of this game was how Luzinski got to third base in the first place. Reaching second was nothing special as he singled and was sacrificed to second. The strategy called for an intentional walk to Bob Boone, and Zachary was supposed to throw four wide runs. But the first one got too close to the plate, and Boone slapped it for a single to send Luzinski to third. Remember that the next time somebody proposes that a batter being intentionally walked should just be waved to first. Of course, three more teams, St. Louis, Chicago, and Montreal, still have a shot at winning. St. Louis down Chicago on Thursday 2-0 in the only other National League game. The Los Angeles-Atlanta game was rained out and canceled. Los Angeles had to fly to the West Coast Thursday night so the game couldn't be made up. And that dimmed Hank Aaron's chances of catching Babe Ruth this season. There's even a real long shot at a five-way tie for first place. If Chicago sweeps four from New York, Montreal sweeps three from Pittsburgh, and St. Louis wins two of three from Philadelphia, and then Pittsburgh wins the makeup game for San Diego, there could be a five way tie for first place. But if New York wins at least two of their four games from Chicago this week, all the teams but Pittsburgh would be eliminated. There were four games played on Thursday in the American League. Chicago nipped the Kansas City Royals in ten innings by a score of three to two and a home run by Buddy Bradford. The Detroit Tigers stopped Baltimore's win scheme at six with a five to two triumph. Joe Coleman defeated the Birds for the fifth time this season without a loss. Pat Dobson twirled a nine-hitter, scattering those nine hits and shutting out Milwaukee two to nothing. California blank Minnesota or defeated Minnesota five to four in eleven innings, sixteen strikeouts for Nolan Ryan. He now has the major league record for a season, three hundred and eighty-three, surpassing the one that was set by Sandy Koufax some years ago of 382. So that's just how things stand now and how the results fared on Thursday in Major League Baseball. Sure, it's a tough loss, Pittsburgh manager Danny Murtaugh said Thursday night. We have to win these next three now and hope the Mets lose. Murtaugh's philosophical comments followed the Pirates' 3-2 loss to the Phillies in that 13th inning, a defeat to drop the Pirates a game behind the Mets. Chris Zachary, the last of six Pittsburgh pitchers, wild pitched home that winning one, as we told you, but his tri trouble coming earlier in the inning when Luzinski was uh, advanced to third on the 
single that was supposed to be a pitch for a pitch out. Zachary planning to give an intentional walk to Bob Boone, but got the ball too close to the plate for Boone single. That's the first time I ever saw anybody swing at an intentional ball and get a hit Murtaugh out of the play. Boone, however, saw it differently. The pitch had three inches of the plate, and it was high. I figured it was a good pitch to hit, and I wasn't even thinking about making it out. With Lusiski on third, Mike Schmidt struck out, and shortstop Larry Boa came up. Then with a count of one and two on Boa, Zachary uncorked his wild pitch to bring Luzinski home. The pitch was a slider down low and inside, Boa said. It skidded in front of pirate catcher Manny Sands again and got away. It was a tough pitch to stop. We're ready for more baseball. Let's go back to Nellie King in Pittsburgh. The playing of the national anthem. The rain has started to fall there, and this game is going to be delayed. A very heavy shower falling right now in Pittsburgh. It's the plate umpire wisely calling for the sharp ball and we've had showers throughout the afternoon they haven't been of any great length but they have been annoying enough and hopefully that's all this will be because the pirates or the expos do not prefer to play double headers we had our share of those up in montreal rained out saturday and winding up playing double headers on sunday and then again on monday but here are the starting lineups nonetheless we'll give them to you mike jorgensen leads it off he'll be at first eight Larry Lynch will bat second. He'll play at second. Ron Fairley in the third spot will be in left field. Kenny Singleton, who has had a whale of the years in right field, he'll be batting fourth. Jim Lytle, L-Y-T-T-L-E, will be in center. He'll bat fifth. At third base, Bob Bailey will hit sixth. Number seven batter doing the catching, John Bacabellan. At shortstop, Tim Foley will hit eighth. And pitcher right-hander, Steve Renko, his record 15 and 11. He's had quite a comeback this year. Last year, he had won one and lost ten, and so far this year, has beaten the Pirates once we have not beaten him. He beat us five to four in Montreal, the last trip up there, and he had no decision earlier this year on May the 14th. And they said last year, his record one and ten, but he's come back to have a fine year, 15 and 11, tying the mark of wins that he had in 1971, when he won 15 and lost 14. Rain continues to come down, even harder, chasing fans for cover here. And it is really a downpour right now, about as hard as we've had here in a long, long time. Now, hopefully it just blows itself right out quickly. And Tarpaulin is out on the field now, and that'll protect the infield portion. But this game will be played, if possible at all, because it means that much to both ball clubs. Dave Cash will be the leadoff batter against Trenko. He'll be at second base. Gene Fines in center will bat second. Al Oliver will hit third. He'll be at first base. In the cleanup spot in left field, none other than Willie Stargell. Richie Hebner again at third. Will bat fifth. The rookie right fielder, Richie Ziff, will bat sixth. Doing the catching, Manny Sankian. He's in the number seven slot. Hitting eighth in a shortstop, the veteran Dal Maxville. And the pitcher, right-hander Doc Ellis. His record, 12 and 13. Well, we're not going to start this game on time. And, Bob, we've seen a lot of heavy rains here this year, but I don't think we've seen one of this kind of a downpour, and we hope that it just blows out very quickly. But that's just a hope right now. It doesn't look too promising. No, it doesn't, Nellie, and uh, it is so bouncing so hard. Look at the casual water, to use a golf expression, running down the uh, runway here at the stadium in, the, in between the seats. I mean, it is just a deluge, and there's no question about the fact that if it quits, uh, it'll take a, at least a half an hour or so to get the water off the field. And that'll give us a chance to know this chat for a little bit before we get involved. But uh, we talked with uh, quite a few people today about the rain out in Chicago, in which now they're faced with a doubleheader tomorrow and a doubleheader on Sunday. And 
before I tell you, Nellie, what uh, certain people told me, uh, well, I'll name the people. Gene Mock was one, and Danny Murtaugh was another, uh, as to which team got the benefit with regard to today's rainout. If uh, you had to make a selection right now, and they got to play a doubleheader tomorrow and a doubleheader Sunday, the delayed game today in Chicago, which means two on Saturday, two on Sunday, which of the two teams would you think in your own mind uh, this rainout would favor? Well, I'd have to believe that it has to favor uh, the Chicago Cubs because, uh, you know, it's tough to win four games. And, uh, from the standpoint that I think the Mets are going to have, they feel they have to win three out of four, and it's going to be a difficult thing. But I think from the Cubs' standpoint, they don't like the doubleheaders. They have to win four. They have to sweep. So I would think from our standpoint, it's a blessing. But from the Cubs' standpoint, I think it's uh, not a blessing because they have to win four games. And it's unlikely that you'll win doubleheaders back-to-back. We tried it up in Montreal and fell short. They were great ball games, but I don't think it's a plus for Chicago. But I think from the standpoint that it is a plus from the Pirates because they can't see the Mets sweeping doubleheaders back-to-back. Cut McGraw has been a, an excellent pitcher for them. And go four straight. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. And uh, that, that, I think, is it. I don't think any manager likes to play two games in one day. It, it uh, plays a little heck with your pitching staff, and I think everyday players get tired, too. Well, now, of course, this is the last part of the season, and it gives tonight's or today's starting pitchers for both ball clubs one additional day of rest. So pitching-wise... Uh, you can say, well, forget it. But one thing is the uh, Mets have a younger ball club, I think, than the uh, Cubs. And there may be an edge to the Mets in that regard in that uh, the younger players could withstand four in two days better than uh, the older players of Chicago. Well, I think uh, you can go through all those things. When it gets down to adrenaline flow on the last two games of the season, here, the last two days, uh, I think you forget about aching bodies and everything else. But I think it's just a mere... Of the mathematical facts, it's very difficult, much more difficult to win two in one day than it is one. And I think both ball clubs have to face that reality. No doubt about that. And of course, it's like if you win uh, two, it's great. If you split, it's like kissing your sister. If you lose two, it's like diving over to the Grand Canyon. That's right. And that, that happens that. to you in doubleheaders. Now, uh, Gene Mock and I, I'd, uh, as you know, I'd pretty smart the way I took the day off last night. You can night, huh? some great days. You took a day off earlier this year in uh-huh. May. How'd you make that? And it wound up, we had 25 walks in that game, 12 pitchers, and it took three hours and 30 minutes to play nine innings. Now, I don't know how you do that. But last night's game was really an interesting game to watch and to broadcast because it really was some fine pitching and some good defensive play, too. And it was a... A thrilling ball game to sit here and watch, and of course, the tension built as you went along. A lot of criticism, of course, he's done Chris Zachary, and I'm sure that he felt worse about it than anybody did last night. He feels bad about it today, and it's an unfortunate thing. And I'm sure the wild pitch, a lot of people talk about that, but I don't think that was a damaging thing. The fact that Boone got a base hit on what was to be an intentional walk probably hurt more than anything. The thing I point out, too, is that if the Phillies are in a situation like that, I doubt very seriously that where they're in a game they have to win, that Boone is going to go swinging on a pitch like that because if he pops it up, two outs, and, uh, you know, you're in some kind of problem there. He could have been criticized, too. But the Phillies are able to play it loose. They're going no place, and that's one of the advantages that they have. There's a remarkable thing, too, Nellie, the fact that... Uh, 
you and I have heard from so many people about how to shorten the ball game. You gotta, you gotta say to yourself, well, if you're gonna walk the guy, put him on. Well, now you and I have seen two times this year, both with our ball club, where we had a wild pitch with Bob Johnson trying to walk a man, and we had a a ball that they hit. So it seems to me that it's uh, rather remarkable that one rule that ought to be changed because you bring in and you take you if you say I'm going to walk that man you put him on you eliminate the physical error uh, the problems that can beset you and it certainly beset you. Chris Agri last night he just got a ball in too close uh, and of course the average person Ellie, that I've talked to today and I say average uh, average baseball fan he said even he you mean to tell me you can't throw the ball ten feet wide of the batter? I said, well, he didn't. And I want to tell you something that's happened before, and it'll happen again. It's just more pronounced as it happens uh, late in the season. Everything is magnified so much more. Losses that we had back in April and May, they're in the loss column, but you don't think about them now. But they're just as big now as uh, the ones you believe you're losing right, uh, like last night. Everybody said that was a tough loss. Sure it was. The games you lost back in May and April were too, but these are more obvious because they've happened right now and when, when they seem so much more important. Ellie, uh, you and I only have to go back to a long time ago this season in San Francisco leading 7-1. We're still looking for the third out. Now, in order to really assess fortunes of the war in that regard, we got to also remember, Nelly, that we've won some games we shouldn't have won. So, you know, you know I, I think we won a game against Philadelphia in the last road trip over there. There's no way we should have won the game, but we did. But if you subtract those games from the ones that we've lost that we felt we should have won, I have to think over the season that we have lost some games without any question we should not have lost like far more than uh, we've won that we shouldn't have won. I really believe that. Well, I think ball players will tell you that, too. The more they, the more you watch baseball, the more you're aware of what's going on, and I think everybody that's just the average fan knows that. You don't wind up getting beat as much as you beat yourself. And, uh, there's no doubt that we have beaten ourselves more this year than we have in the three previous years, and that's why we're in the situation we are today. Just a game behind New York. So we just have played as well. Back to life right there, but then nobody else in this league has played much better either. No, they haven't. Just come back to join the crowd. You and I uh, broke a story the other day in Montreal, Nelly. We were talking, and uh, I see it was finally picked up in the papers and used on the Today Show and everything else, as though it was something new. have a five-way tie. You and I sat down and worked the doggone thing out, and I see in yesterday's papers that, uh, or the press, that they finally uh, broke it, that it could be a five-way tie, and it's still not beyond the realm of possibility. And uh, if, if we are to lose three, here's the way you can have a five-way tie now. We lose three straight to the Expos, Cardinals sweep the Phillies,
reduce the national yeast, or the, the national yeast is what it is, to the flip of a coin. But uh, I guess that's about the only fair way to do it. And I do understand, Millie, that uh, in the event there is a five-way tie, that uh, it's all been worked out, what team draws the buy, where you play, and how you handle it. It does seem a little silly, doesn't it, to get it down to where you get to flip a coin up there and say, okay, you got the first try, and uh, then go from there. It'll be interesting how they judge a buy. Who would get this? Is that with a flip of the coin? Or you get it with a flip of the coin. In other words, uh, you keep going, but one team is the team that doesn't have to play the first game, and the other four go at it. And then you bring the other club back in, and uh, I, I don't think they go on the basis of winning and losing percentages. There's no real way well, you can handle that. Because you got, you've got uh, you got an even record. Of course, the only way they might do it is who has the best record against Eastern Division ball clubs. Maybe that would be a rational way, or maybe the defending champion would get a bye. I know it's yeah, I know it's that too, yeah. <laughs> now, you don't want to ask me how I shot yesterday. We had a squad fest out there yesterday at St. Clair. You hit the ball well. Dave Bristol did. Oh, we had a ball pretty good. But I want to tell you, the funniest thing that happened, just to digress, it's raining out here, folks. And, well, I mean, it is raining, and they're trying to get the game savers. As fast as they're throwing it out of here, it's coming down. So uh, if we're going to get today or tonight what they got in Chicago this afternoon, uh, we may be faced, I guess, with a doubleheader tomorrow. We'll find that out before we get off the air. But Nelly on the 15th hole at St. Clair, there's a beautiful home up behind that. Uh, you remember the hole. There's a par 3 on 16, and 17 long, par 5, and 18 an easy par 4. There's some youngster who lives in a home up there, and he's playing the drum. He's got the snare drums, and I mean he's banging it out like he's Buddy Richard. Uh, who was your favorite, uh... I mean, he's really racking him up, and we don't know that's going to happen, and Calvin McLeish lines up over the big front, and all of a sudden, this kid starts out on the snare drum, and you hear the cymbals and everything going, and McLeish stabs it about 20 feet up the line. So now Mock gets up, and he's got a two-footer, and he says, well, I got the... He says, I'll just give it a little hey hey and he got in the rhythm of the thing, and just as he's ready to putt, as the good Lord is my judge... He got it all set. The kid quit, and Mock missed the two-footer by about three feet. So we had a good time, and Bob Bailey and Ron Fairley and Snack uh, Shore and everybody. And uh, as you might imagine, Nellie, had you been there, I know you were awfully tired. We wanted you to join us. The whole conversation outside of golf was baseball and uh, the way the race is going and the uh, things that are happening. And uh, I was told... For your information, by uh, Gene Mock, and he was talking to Ray Shore of the Reds and Sherman Law of the Oakland A's. They exchanged information that in the game that he beat Steve, uh, Tom Seaver, he said Seaver didn't throw any fastballs. He threw nothing but breaking stuff and threw like he was laboring as though he had a back problem. And went on from there to point out that the double by Lynch. Kiner on the post-game show after he had beaten us in New York that 
he wound up throwing up a lot of change-ups and all three curve balls and everything. He didn't feel like he had a good fastball, and he stated that his bad year in 1970, I guess, was due primarily to pitching the three days rest. He doesn't like to do that. He gets tired physically. He tries to do things, and he can't do them. And he starts pushing and pressing a bit, and he starts doing that. Uh, you get outside yourself, and you're not going to be the same kind of pitcher you were. So I think if he had his druthers, he'd uh, druther work with four days rest or five days rest rather than working every uh, fourth day. Tell me this. Nelly, uh, last night as you watched the ball game, did we have any chances at all to win it? Was there anything we... Uh, I guess the only time... No, not really. I guess the only time we really had an opportunity to score, I think, was the eighth inning with uh, runners at first and second. And they wanted to know why they allowed Jackie Hernandez to hit in that spot. And I mentioned on the air that Jackie, over the years, seemed to have hit so well against the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't know why it is, but a couple of years ago, I think he hit all of his home runs. And about all but five of his RBIs came against them. And I think Murtaugh remembered that. He said that he was playing a hunch on it. Unfortunately, the hunch didn't work. It's the only real chance we had. There was a bunt play once. Uh, Augustine made a pretty good run down the line, and he just got Hebner at second base. That might have been the only other time, because we did hit the ball well after that. They had a runner, would have had a runner in the scoring position. Sankey and hit a wicked shot back off the glove of Boa. Those two innings were about it. It was amazing the way the Philly pitching just dominated things last night. They just had a good night. Lurch pitched the best game I've seen him pitch since he's been here. Nelly, you know, if they want to second-guess uh, letting Hernandez hit, let's just go back to a ball game we won we shouldn't have won in Philadelphia. When Hernandez was allowed to bat in a ball game, we were down 5-3, to three, and Stargell with two strikes on him and two out, got the base hit off the left side of the diamond. We ended up tying it up and went on for a big inning. And the inning in which we went on for the big inning, Hernandez got a two-run single. It isn't for that two-run single. We don't win the game because, as you recall, the Phillies uh, came back, back with three runs. With three runs, and we were struggling. So I think Murtaugh goes pretty much by what he remembers, what certain people have done. And I, I, there's no way in my mind I can second-guess a thing like that, Nelly, because uh, he goes on past performance, and past performance is a pretty good way to judge anybody. That's about all you got to judge. That's what they do the history on it. Yeah. What happened to the past? the future, Robbie. How do you like that? Holy <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. Before we send her back to uh, the folks here for a little music, uh, this is going to be a while now before we play any ball, and now I can catch up to some other things. Uh, I like to say the Little League Griffin Motors ball team from Meadville attending the ball game tonight, and I hope they get a chance to get in, and a happy birthday too to Tony Sinceri, which was celebrated on the 27th.
second, the William and Rachel Barr of Somerset. And Nellie and I are also sent along get well wishes to John C. Laffey. He was a shovel salesman from the Ames, Ole Ames Company. And I uh, hope that he's up and around again very, very soon. We know he's a great pirate fan. And uh, they got a group of about 60 Cub Scouts in there, ladies, attending the ball game. Cub Scout Pack uh, 511 from Freeport, Pennsylvania. And I think that that's pretty well Well, Here's a happy birthday to Molly uh, Dihulis, 65 years young, 53 years old, at Fort Field and at Three River Stadium. Well, Nelly, if there's anything on the baseball ticker, talk about it for a moment and then return for music because there's, while it's now stopped raining and the folks are coming back in, I'd say we have at least a half an hour before uh, they can get this game underway. And they're going to try to get it in the way. There's no doubt about that. Nelly? All right, Bob, in uh, baseball this afternoon, in the uh, first game of a doubleheader, that, uh, I guess it was a twine-hider, actually. Boston beat Milwaukee 11-2. Louis Tiant won his 20th ball game. That's the 11th. 20-game winner in the American League with that designated pinch hitter. They seem to hang around a little bit longer this year. And they've recorded 11 20-game winners this year. They have a possibility of another one. Gaylord Perry has won 19 and lost 19. And, of course, uh, I think he'll be working on Sunday. But the Boston Red Sox won 11-2 and a six-hitter by Tiod is 20th win against 13 defeats. Another ball game this afternoon in the first of two at Baltimore. Another twine-hider it was. Uh, Cleveland leading Baltimore. And that game, I believe, is over now. It is Cleveland won the game 6-4 as Pedro beat uh, Jim Palmer. Palmer was trying for his 23rd win. He picked up his ninth defeat. Those games don't mean much over there other than the fact that they've got a 20-game winner. New York and Chicago postponed. They'll have a doubleheader tomorrow and Sunday. Those games will start at 11.30 Chicago time. Of course, that's 12.30 Pittsburgh time. Tomorrow's game with the Montreal Expos, Steve Rogers, who's been one of the amazing stories in baseball this year, a rookie with a 9-5 mark. We'll go against the veteran Nelly Bryles. And this game, it appears, is going to be played here tonight because the rain has stopped. As I said, we've got a fine crowd on hand. And a very enthusiastic one, which is something different than what we had the last three nights here. Rather sparse crowds for the Philadelphia Footy Series. But it seems that is always the case during the month of September. Once school gets in, weekday games don't seem to draw as well. But Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday seem to do very well. We've got a fine crowd on hand, and a lot of the youngsters out with some very explicit banners urging the Bucks to win here tonight. Good to see too. I'll tell you, the ball players enjoy a good hometown crowd, and you can't imagine what it does in Montreal and Chase Stadium. It's a very, very big plus for those ball clubs playing at Jerry Park and at Chase Stadium. Philadelphia is at St. Louis tonight. The Cardinals very much still in the race. They can wind up with a tie in this thing and could win it too. They'll send uh, Thompson, a youngster that started the other day in New York. He faced only two batters and he had to leave the game. Ken Brett, a left-hander. We'll be going for the Phillies. The roar you hear in the background is for the ground crew. They're getting a big hand. They're taking a tarpaulin off, and we're going to be playing baseball here. 
other game, San Francisco at Cincinnati, no score after one. Bradley going against John Gullett, Los Angeles to San Diego a little bit later on tonight. That's San Diego, by the way. They'll play tomorrow night, then we're off Sunday, and the possibility of them playing here Monday is a very definite possibility. And should they have to play, that game would start at 1.35. They would have to fly in Sunday, and of uh, course, determine whether they would be playing on Monday. But they may not know until after the game is over on Sunday. And of course, they couldn't wait around that long out on the West Coast to make their decision. They might get hung up someplace between Los Angeles or San Diego and Pittsburgh. Maybe go midway to St. Louis and then get into a holding pattern and see which way they're going to go. East or West, I don't know. But it's been an odd year, and that's just another odd side life, too. We've got a good uh, 15 minutes or so here, I would guess, before they get this field into any kind of decent playing shape. So rather than fill you in with anything more here, we'll uh, probably be coming back here in another 15 minutes, possibly less, but figure on about 15 minutes. So without any further delay, we'll return you to your local station. And we want to let all the field stations along the line know that uh, in a moment or so, we'll be going back to our regular programming, but please monitor your lines, for we will rejoin the Pittsburgh Expo ball game as soon as we get word from KDKA in Pittsburgh. We will have the game and come right back with Bob Prince and Nellie King immediately as soon as we get word that they are back on the air. So please monitor AFRTSW, all the stations along the line who are staying with us for this particular ball game. Again, we remind you how important the ball game it is for Pittsburgh as they trail the New York Mets right now by one game in their all-important loss column. And uh, right now with four games to play, that is, of course, if they have to play that game on Monday against the uh, San Diego Padres in Pittsburgh, an afternoon contest that they may have to play. In all likelihood, as you just heard, they will have to play that particular ball game. The New York Mets, as you've heard by now a dozen times, rained out in an afternoon contest against the Chicago Cubs. And again, the pitchers are going to have to bear the brunt of the load as the Pirates now with back-to-back -back games Friday, tonight, if they can play, Saturday, Sunday, and possibly Monday. The New York Mets and Chicago Cubs with back-to-back doubleheaders now on Saturday and Sunday. Taking a quick look, this is a thing to show you that we're sure you're all interested in in the few moments that we have here before going back to regular programming. Let it be known the National League race is, or the National League is ready, whatever the outcome of this hectic Eastern Division race. With the five-team tie a possibility, a playoff schedule involving all of the contending teams was announced by League President Charles Feeney on Friday afternoon. In the event of a five-way tie, playoff activity would begin next Tuesday with Pittsburgh at New York and Montreal at St. Louis, while Chicago would be idle. The Cubs would then play at the home field of the winner of the Montreal-St. Louis game on Wednesday. On Thursday, the winner of the Pittsburgh-New York game would play at the winner of the Chicago versus Montreal-St. Louis game. There are three possible four-way tie finishes with the following schedule applying between New York, St. Louis, Chicago, and Montreal. Tuesday, New York at Chicago and St. Louis at Montreal. Wednesday, New York-Chicago winner at the winner of the St. Louis-Montreal game. Between New York, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis. Tuesday, Pittsburgh at New York and St. Louis-Chicago. Wednesday, St. Louis-Chicago winner at winner of Pittsburgh, New York. 
between New York, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Montreal. Tuesday, Pittsburgh at New York, and Chicago at Montreal. Wednesday, Pittsburgh, New York, winner at the winner of the Chicago-Montreal game. There are three possible three-way tie finishes with the following schedule applying. Between New York, Pittsburgh, and St. Louis. Tuesday, Pittsburgh at St. Louis. Wednesday, New York at the winner of the Pittsburgh-St. Louis game. Between New York, Pittsburgh, and Chicago. Tuesday, Pittsburgh at New York. Wednesday, Chicago at the winner of the Pittsburgh-New York game. Between New York, Montreal, and Chicago on Tuesday, New York at Montreal on Wednesday, Chicago at the winner of the New York-Montreal game. And there are three possible two-way tie finishes with the following schedule applying for Tuesday, Pittsburgh at St. Louis, New York at St. Louis, or New York at Pittsburgh. So that's how it all stands. And uh, again, that for the information and benefit of the fans out there whose possible favorite team is playing, and there are five of them, you still have a chance any one of those five clubs can move up and can move into a tie or possibly, of course, win it before the season is over. However, one or two victories by the uh, New York Mets over Chicago over the weekend, again, we remind you, would cut it down to just the two-team race between the Mets and the Pittsburgh Pirates. So if you're rooting for the Cardinals or the Expos or the Cubs, you have to hope that the New York Mets definitely don't take at least two. The Cubs have to win at least three of the four games to keep any of the other teams in the race besides Pittsburgh and the New York Mets. That a crucial series between the Mets and the uh, Cubs. The Mets also clinching a tie by winning three of the four games at least. If they win three of the four, they've at least clinched a tie. They know they're going to be in the playoffs. The rain was unwelcomed by both managers today, Whitey Lockman of the Cubs and Yogi Berra of the Mets, since neither looked forward with pleasure to the prospect of playing back-to-back doubleheaders. Should either Saturday or Sunday's twin bills be rained out, the teams would play a doubleheader on Monday, or the first day weather would permit to end the season. The postponement did not change the pitching plans of either Lockman or Berra, the two managers, though it certainly plagued the Cubs' pitching prospects more than the Mets. Friday's scheduled starters, John Matlack for the Mets and Rick Russell for the Cubs, will work the first game Saturday, but neither manager was willing to specify who would work the nightcap. Barra said it would be either George Stone or Jerry Kuzman, while Lockman said we'll have to see what happens. All 11 of our pitches are available to start or relieve. So that's the situation right now. Again, we remind the stations along the line that we are going to take a break for a few minutes now, but we will go right back to Pittsburgh and Bob Prince and Nellie King. As soon as KDK informs us that that baseball game is getting underway. So please stay, stay with us. Monitor the lines if you're preparing to take this particular baseball game. Army Sergeant Preston Clough speaking. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. Okay, we're ready for baseball again at 745. Let's go back to Washington and then turn to Pittsburgh Three River Stadium. Lynch is at uh, first base. 
One thing he has, an advantage in trying to run here, is the tartan turf gives him a little better surface to run on once he gets out of the sliding pit area. He takes the run. The ball gets foul off the left side, one and one. How are you, uh, as young as you are, Nelly, do you remember the name Crystal Set? Okay, I remember those, and I remember listening to radio with a ear set. You had to pass it around. Well, yeah. I remember that 1930, 31. All right, I'll buy it. <laughs> I remember listening to the Dempsey uh, Sunny fight in Salt Lake City on the Crystal Set. And I cried. Dempsey lost. See, he used to live in Salt Lake City. One ball, one strike. 1927, I think, when they had that fight. Here's the look to first and the 1-1. They are gone. It's a... Mark is not going to argue any longer. 
they went one to four to six to three, and that's a very big break and a lucky one for the Bucks. We go to the bottom of the first, no score. And so the Pittsburgh Pirates lose a break that they did get in the first inning. It could be a look at what might possibly be to come. Again, we remind you that the game between the Mets and the Cubs was rained out this afternoon. They've got to play doubleheaders back-to-back on Saturday and Sunday. The Pittsburgh Pirates with four remaining games, three definitely, the fourth if need be against San Diego on Monday, depending on how things look after Sunday's contest. Other games going on in the National League tonight really of no importance except to just see who wins and loses. The Cincinnati Reds, who have already wrapped it up over in the Western Division, just waiting to see who they will play for the National League Championship. No score with San Francisco after two and a half. Tom Bradley against Don Gullett. The St. Louis Cardinals, who definitely are still in it, are playing against the Philadelphia Phillies at home. Philadelphia failed to score the top half of the first. Ken Brett against Thompson. Later on on the West Coast, Los Angeles at San Diego, the Atlanta Braves and Houston Astros are not scheduled. In the American League, first of a twine-hitter, Cleveland defeated Baltimore and Jim Palmer 6-4. First of a twine-hitter, Boston 11-2 over Milwaukee. Oh, brother, what a break for us there, Nelly, on that uh, double play ball bouncing off Doc Ellis. And as I said earlier, I think a great tribute to the umpiring of Doug Harvey, Gene Mott, who normally will sit there and argue till the cows come home, when I heard what Doug said and turned around and walked away. Well, I guess he uh, is regarded as one of the premier umpires in the league, and they have put a good crew together here with uh, Doug Harvey, Pelicuda, Shag quite a few veterans there, and Andy Olsen, too. And that's the way it should be if you get the big games going. That's exactly right. And we got some good ones in this one. That about the best overall crew you can look at. There are some other great umpires that don't ever overlook Eddie Vargo. And whatever you do, don't overlook Jack Crawford. He's here tonight. Here's a cash with 11 game batting streak. Renko, high, ball one. Renko, two and three against the Pirates. Renko's strong suit the last time he pitched Bob. He didn't walk anybody, and he usually can't get walked. Here's the 1-0, and he's in there with a called strike. Got a good breaking ball. I think he came up with that this year, a little better control. Beat us in that first game with a televised doubleheader, 5-4. One ball, one strike to Cash, who leans off a pitch, but it's in the inside corner for a called strike. One ball, two strikes. Cash takes it high for a ball, and it's doing good. Cash, Clines, and Oliver here in the first inning. And no score. Steve Renko on the 2-2. A ball beat foul off third. That's Bill Mazeroski. Phillies and the Cardinals are scoreless at the end of one. Strike two count now, holding to Dave Cash. And the 2 2. High for a ball, and it's 3 and 2. I'm happy to have met the young McElvain youngsters from Washington, Pennsylvania, here tonight. Rooting for their buckos, and our best to Laverne of the Allegheny Club, who suffered a broken arm and a great fire fan. 
Cash goes down, swing on a fastball. That'll bring up center fielder Gene Klein. The 268, one homer and 22 runs batted in. Thurman Munson of New York all at 301. 
Home runs the National League. Willie Starkle, the Pirates, sets the pace with 44. That's one better than Davey Johnson of Atlanta, who has 43. In the American League, it's Reggie Jackson of Oakland. He has 32. Frank Robinson of California. Jeff Burroughs of Texas, both with 30. RBI's Willie Stargell has 118 to lead the National League. In the American League, Jackson has won the 17. Pitching based on the most victories, National League. Ronnie Bryant of San Francisco is 23-12. and 12. In the American League, Wilbur Wood of the White Sox, 24-20. and 20. Jim Palmer of Baltimore lost tonight. He's now 22-9. and nine. Joe Coleman of Detroit, 22-15. and 15. Jim Hunter of Oakland is 21 and 5. Nolan Ryan of California has 21 and 16. Vida Blue is 20 and 9. Then Paul Spudorf and Jim Colborn. Spudorf with Kansas City. Colborn with Milwaukee, 20 and 11. Right now, let's pause for station identification. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. At 790 and 1420, this is American Forces Radio. It'll be Jim Lytle, L-Y-T-T-L-E, the center fielder, batting at 259, a left-hand batter, four homers, 18 runs batted in. Doc Ellis on the mound. No score, top of the second inning. Pitch to Lytle, popped high into the air in the left center, coming off for Gene Klein, coming over for Stigel, Klein for the out. And John McHale of the Expos, Jim Fanning of the Expos here, Nina Lee Mott, wife of Gene uh, Mott. And she informed us tonight that uh, something we've all been thinking about, that we thought her uh, brother was Roy Smalley. Turns out it's her brother-in-law. Roy Smalley is married to Gene Mott's sister. They have a son playing uh, baseball at Southern California shortstop that they figure is going to be, without question, a superstar. The youngster's already turned down Boku Money. He's at Southern Cal, and uh, he's been drafted a couple of times and has said no while he's getting his education. But look for the name of Roy Smalley, and I don't know whether he's a junior or not, but it's Roy's son and uh, Gene Mock's uh, nephew that they say is a can't-miss ball player. Bob Bailey, Beatles on a one-ball, one-strike count, batting at 276. And in there for a strike. And a count of one and two. Here's the one-two pitch. Checked off it inside with a fastball. Two-two. Done on no score in the second. The first of three with the Expos. Game tomorrow and Sunday afternoon for Fan Appreciation Day. And it looks like it'll go till Sunday before we find out if then who will be the champion of the National League East. Ground ball off the right side. Jay Cash off to his left. Throws on two out. Bob Bailey has played great baseball for Gene Mott. He and his wife, Karen, and the youngsters. Of course, uh, there's Karen's out on the coast by now. The uh, Beatles uh, hit the big blow against the New York Mets the other day to send them down to defeat. When he popped his uh, 26th home of the year. Here's John Bacabella, the right-hand batter, batting at 227, seven homers, 43 runs batted in. They're playing the right-hand batter to pull. Hebner guards the line deep at third. Ellis delivers, breaking ball right through the middle. Picked up by Cash and throws him out. Looks 
Rocky Jim Bacabella. He hit it fast. Uh, Ellis looked like he was going to get through for the base hit. It never got there. Cash plugged it up. Three up and three down into the bottom of the second, and there is no score. Well, Hank Aaron's chances of breaking Babe Ruth's home run record this season already slim at best were dealt still another setback Thursday night, and the game between the Dodgers and Braves was rained out and canceled. Aaron, needing three homers to break Babe Ruth's record in 7-14, now has only two games remaining this season. The Braves have an off day tonight and wind up the season with single games against the Astros Saturday night and Sunday. The game, the final meeting of the season between the Dodgers and Braves, was forced to be canceled since Los Angeles had to fly to the West Coast Thursday night for a game Friday night in San Diego against the Padres. The game in Atlanta has no bearing on the final standings and therefore does not have to be replayed. Updating the National League scoreboard, the games of importance, one of them actually going on besides ours, the Philadelphia Phillies failed to score in the top of the second. No score between Philadelphia and the Cardinals after an inning and a half. The Mets and the Cubs rained out this afternoon. First inning and a half of our ball game has been a pitching battle between Steve Renko and Doc Kellis. There is no score. We're ready for the bottom of the second. Once again, here's Bob Prince in Pittsburgh. So, Bill Gilfoyle has just come along with the book called Clemente by Cal Wagenheim. Nelly, you and I were looking at this uh, several weeks ago. It's now on the stand. This is a book you really love, having known Roberto as you did and going back to some pictures that are in there. It'll bring some memories to you, buddy. Sure will. And uh, it was interesting to look at a picture. Well, Willie Charge was up. More important things are Dodge Old takes an overhand fastball outside. Foley's not shifting. Uh, Bailey's off to the left. Wide of third. And Foley is over toward second, but he's still on the third base side of it. The outfield is pinching in. They're giving Stargell the lines of swinging a miss. The right fielder, for instance, single in a very interesting deployment, is giving Stargell 90 feet of the right field line. The center fielder, Lytle, is split off to his right. And the left fielder, Fairley, is split over to his left. Foul back. So they're going to give Stargell the right field and the left field line. They're wide a third in Bailey, but they hold Foley back off the left side of second base as he's over toward third. A Gene Mock deployment. And it's called strike three. The same uh, defensive deployment the Phillies used last night, Bob, and pinching in toward center field. Talking about Clemente, I didn't know when he got the number 21, but he got it before he came up to the major league. Puerto Rico. That's Clemente Walker, and he comes out 21 letters or uh, letters, and that's how he took the 21. That's right. Kawa. Was he playing in Kawa then, or San Jose? San Jose. Hebner hits a popper up toward uh, second baseman Lynch, and it's two down, no score. I think you'll find in the story that he added up if you write Roberto Clemente Walker out. In Puerto Rico, all players use their mother's last name. Roberto Clemente, his father's name was Clemente, his mother's name was Walker. And in deference and out of dear respect and love for their mother, they always took the mother's last name last. So really, Roberto's full name was Roberto Momens Walker Clemente. But uh, the Momens was a sort of a nickname. Here is uh, Richie Zest, the right fielder. And I think if you take Roberto Clemente Walker and add them all up, you'll get 21. That's the number he chose. 
Nothing in one to count. Of course, it's retired to never see it again in Pittsburgh. A swing by this strike two. They're having an induct- induction, Nelly, uh, for Roberto Hall of Fame in San Juan on October the 7th. Unfortunately, you and I are not going to be able to get down here for that. Well, this goes down, and Renko's going at us like he's mad. Oh, I forgot, by gosh, Montreal's still in this thing, aren't they? Oh, are they in this thing? Three up, three down. End of two, there is no score. Bobby Tolan of the Cincinnati Reds is really in the doghouse. The Reds have suspended him from the team through the season-closing game Sunday. And there's speculation his place on the roster will be taken by pitcher Roger Nelson for the playoffs beginning October 6th. Red President Bob Housen said Tillman was suspended for refusing to take batting and fielding practice with the rest of the team. Tillman has recently seated himself apart from other players in the dugout. The 27-year-old outfielder has also refrained from joining other players and congratulating teammates who hit home runs or make good fielding plays. In American League Baseball tonight, first of a twilight at Cleveland 6-4 over Baltimore. Dick Tidrow, the winner over Jim Thomas. Don Baylor, homer for the Birds. Dave Duncan, Walt Williams, and Frank Duffy for Cleveland. Second game, the Tribe failed to score in the top of the first. It's Wilcox against Alexander. First of two, Baltimore or Boston, 11-2 over Milwaukee. Louis Tiant won his 20th. Rodriguez, the loser. Yastrzemski, a grand slammer. Smith, a three-run shot. And Cecil Cooper, a solo shot for Boston. George Scott. A solo shot for Milwaukee. Nothing, nothing after two in the nightcap. Well, a scoreless game. We're in the third inning, and the leadoff batter will be Tim Foley, the shortstop. He's batting at 243, two home runs, 35 RBIs. Both home runs have been hit out by fishing. Both of them in Jerry Park. Or as they say in Montreal, Park Jerry. Tell the cab driver there to take you to Jerry Park. He doesn't know what you're talking about. You've got to say Park Jerry. Ball taken by Foley. Tack on. Maybe not quite that bad, but that's the way they call it up there. Foley, right handed batter against the right handed Dakota. Good hard breaking pitch right there at the knees. Strike two. Nettles had a shaky first inning, and it took a weird double play to get him out of it without a run scoring. He's stuck him out. The ball is dropped by Sanguian. And a third of first base. Foley argues that he foul tipped the ball. And the umpire says, no, Pelicuda said you didn't foul tip it. And Foley is arguing now. Pelicuda, he can get mad. He's right jaw to jaw with him. He's been thrown out of games before, and he is really going after him now. Mark is coming out to get him. And he's telling him, you better get away from here. You'll lose the shortcut. Enough the time to go arguing on a play like that in the second inning and lose a great shortstop as Foley is. And that's wisely went out just to get him away. Pelicutis umpire behind home plate. And in three innings now, the Expos have had two uh, rhubarbs here with the umpire. Harvey at first base and now Pelicutis on a strikeout of Tim Foley. That's the first strikeout by Ellis. And Bob said Renko is rolling along. He's had four over the front two. The adrenaline is flowing about this time of the season because the Expos, with one loss, are out of it. Pirates cannot afford any. Calicutis now pointing into the Montreal dugout. And he will near no more from Tim Foley, if that is the gentleman that's hollering out to him.
Ranko is the batter. He's a good hitter. 24 hits and 87 at bats. Swings and misses on a fastball. Strike one. No home runs, but he's driven in nine. He started in the Mets organization as the first baseman outfielder. Curveball is outside. One ball and one strike. And she too that uh, and it's just goes to saying he didn't put out Oliver on that play. The one-one pitch. He struck on that one and didn't get it. Kind of a mess. Thank you. Breaking ball by Ellis is right on the outside corner. The one-two pitch. Breaking ball away. Two balls, two strikes. Franco hitting at 276, and that's a legitimate one. When you've got 24 hits and 87 at bats, you can consider yourself a pretty good sticker. Foul back out of play. Two balls, two strikes. Bill Hurden actually turned this guy into a pitcher at Williamsport years ago. I think about 1967 it was. Somewhere around there, 66. The 2-2 delivery inside with a breaking ball. Full count of three and two. Ellis tried to break the curve over the plate, but he hung it inside. No score, one down on the Expos third inning. The on-deck batter, left-handed hitting Mike Jorgensen. The wind-up by Ellis in the pitch. He blew it right past him, strike three. Two strikeouts by Ellis. His record, 12 and 13. He picked up a win in Montreal on the 23rd. Last Sunday. Ellis, I believe, wants another baseball. He does. The rain here is a very heavy one, causing a delay of 36 minutes. With the ground crew, as usual, doing a great job and got it in shape quickly. Here's a pitch to Jorgensen. Swings and five tips. Jack one. And bounced off the shin guards of St. Ian. Jorgensen, first ball hitting. Opening up the ball game, fly to shallow left field. He's hit eight home runs this year, driven in 46. Changeup is right there, strike two. Beautiful pitch by Ellis. That a good response from the big crowd on hand here tonight. The L2 pitch. Down here, that's weakly to the mound. Ellison quickly has a play first in time. The extras get out of order in the third inning. We go to the bottom of the third. No score. In Alamo, California, unseated Ray Moore of Great Britain used accurate volleys in a strong net game Thursday night to stun Stan Smith, the world's top-ranked tennis player, in the quarterfinals of the $50,000 Fireman's Fund International. Playing a sharp game, quote, above myself, unquote, more after the American in straight sets, 7-6-6-4. In another quarterfinal upset, six-seeded Bjorn Borg of Sweden advanced to the semifinals by downing number three-seed Tom Gorman of Seattle, 6-4-5-7-7-6. Gorman complained of a sore back. I played above myself to win tonight, said Moore, who also beat Smith 7-6-6-3 earlier this year at Las Vegas. A football note, New York Jet quarterback Joe Namath is resting comfortably in a New York hospital after suffering a shoulder separation last Sunday. 
The Jet team physician, Dr. James Nicholas, says there's a there's little likelihood Namath will have to undergo an operation. He's expected to be back in action from six to eight weeks, probably in a game in November against the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's go back to Pittsburgh. The third inning to the Pirates, it'll be Manny Sankey and Dal Maxwell and John Kellers. To go against Rinko, and that's going to tell you he's retired 6 0. He has, and he's done it in rather brilliant fashion, fashion striking out four of the six bats. St. Louis leading the Phillies 1 0 after three. Ken Britt against Thompson. St. Louis starts their games in September at uh, 7.30, a half hour earlier during the summer months. That's the reason they're already into the third inning. Manny batting at 281, 12 home runs, he's driven in 64. Renko is generally not a power pitcher. Doesn't get that many strikeouts, but he's jumped on four already over the front two. But as I said, the adrenaline flows a little bit better in a game like this. He's just outside with a slider ball. Renko, a fine competitor, played uh, college football at Kansas, quarterback, and Gale Sayers is there. He's the number 15th draft pick of the Oakland Raiders. Fastball fouled out of play. One ball and one strike. Thank you. 15 high on that pitch. A wind up by Renko on the pitch. Round ball, right side, base it. Pass in front of the right field. That's a high curveball up in Sagin going to right field. That's been his percentage start the last couple of years. Gets the Pirates first hit. bring up Dal Maxwell, the shortstop. He looks at third base coach, Bill Nazarat. The possibility of bunch very much alive here. Fielding the ball and throwing it. Uh, can't present some problems here tonight with a wet curve. The infield not as wet as the outfield portion. He's hitting away. Curveball is taken. Strike one. Rinko has gone to that pitch more than the slider so far. A big curveball. His fastball does not move that much. Jorgensen holding Sagium. The pitch to Maxi. Ground ball right up the middle and it's picked up by Wayne. He out at second, a throw to first. Not made. Holy holds on, had no play there. Ball was not hit sharply, just passed the mound. Renko couldn't feel the ball and Lynn had time to get it before it went through. Got an easy out on Sagium, four to six. And Maxwell now the runner at first, and Doc Ellis will be the back. Ellis missed about four or five weeks with a bad elbow, just uh, coming off the disabled list. For more than a week ago, he was going to bunt, takes the pitch up five for a ball. Expos, but the first baseman, Jorgensen, charging. They have a time play there and a certain signal he'll break, or he'll take the break and then come back and they throw over. But Bailey already in at third base, right on top of uh, Dulles. Well, look at first, the pitch. It is uh, down low. Maybe outside, but 
wildly missing. The count is 2-0. Oh. Jorgensen again going by the mound, hollering something to Renko. The 2-0 pitch, bunted up in the air, and he may have a double play up there, but it bounce. Ellis has got to run. They're going to, and safe at first base is uh, Maxwell. He made the wrong play, and Maxwell started to go off the bag. He was safe. Boy, we almost had a boo-boo ourselves. All Lynch had to do was tag Maxwell first and then tag the bag, and he's got a double play. But Ellis made the play possible. He didn't run on it. He was standing around home plate, and... Uh, Jorgensen very wisely let the ball fall. He threw hard to first place, but Lynch, right on the back, took the fourth away. He got the out there, and Maxwell was safe at first. But Maxwell thought he was out. He started to go off. And very quickly, Leopard should get back on the bag than he did before the tag was made. Now, both ball clubs messed up a bit. And really, nobody got hurt on it. Although the Expos lost a double play. takes a pitch up high, ball one. That play was similar to the 1960 World Series when Rocky Nelson took the fourth away on that ball hit by Barrett. He tagged first and looked around to second base, and here comes his mantle sliding back in there. Fastball inside on Cash to count two and zero. Oh. Once you tag the base, you take away a force, and the runner doesn't have to advance. Easy to think of those things when you're up here. A little bit more difficult when you're standing down there and they happen quickly. The pitch up high on Cash and the count goes to three and zero. Bacabella out to talk to Renko, who has uh, had control problems here for the first time. The out on Ellis went three to four, by the way. Cash has an 11 game hitting streak going, and Renko blew him out of there with a fastball, striking him out in the first inning. No score, two down. He takes the strike. Possibility for a five-way tie in the Eastern Division still exists with just three games or three uh, days to go. Line drive in the right center field. It's going to be in there for a base hit. Maxwell's coming to third. The throw by Lionel is not going to be in time. He beats it and holding his first base yet. The Pirates have run into first and third. Two down. No score. And Cash continues his hitting streak to 12 games. Up there and 
You don't have that same there. The L1 pitch, curveball, and it's right there, strike two. Pirates' bats were very silent last night against the Phillies, trying to rattle something loose here in the third inning with a couple of singles. The L2 pitch. Looper in there. Now it's an odd job to center. Lytle's going to get it. Looked like it was off the pitch, but it carried well into center field. And playing perfectly, Lytle had an easy play. No runs on two hits, no errors, two left. We've completed three, and there is no score. The blackout band for home football games sold out 72 hours in advance has taken a new twist. Nine of 13 NFL games Sunday and Monday will have the games locally televised with the Miami and Detroit games to be on TV because of two public-spirited companies. In Miami, a bottling company executive beat the deadline by buying almost 1,000 tickets for Sunday's game to ensure the sellout. The tickets will go to underprivileged children. The same thing happened in Detroit, where a local store picked up 1,800 tickets so Monday night's game can be seen on TV. They go to a boys' club. Sellouts didn't happen in San Diego, Houston, Baltimore, Cleveland, and Dallas, and thus no local television of those scheduled contests. The Philadelphia Phillies and Cardinals tonight have now completed three and a half innings. The Cardinals still lead it by a score of one to nothing. St. Louis possibly trying to celebrate. Red Shane Deeds rehiring his manager for the upcoming 1974 campaign. Also rehired today in Major League Baseball was Walter Austin with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Other scores after four full Cincinnati now leading San Francisco by a score of one to nothing with a run in the bottom of the fourth inning. Later on tonight in the National League, Los Angeles and San Diego, Atlanta and Houston not scheduled. More baseball is back. Now they're having rain out in St. Louis. And that's the game is in the fourth inning. The Cardinals batting in the bottom of the fourth inning. They lead one to nothing. So it's not an official game. The Angel there. They had rain in Chicago today. The Mets in Chicago. Rained out. They'll play doubleheader Saturday and Sunday. Larry Lance with a walk in the first inning. Leads off the Expos fourth inning against Doc Ellis. Here's the pitch. A five, ball one. The undecked batter runs fairly. He'll be followed by Ken Singleton. Pixelins foul down the left field line. It's out of play. One ball and one strike. Lance hit under 200. In Osmond in the background, he hit under 200 down in the International League. Guess who's going to pitch for the Cardinals tomorrow? Do you believe Bob Gibson? You'd be right. Check swing and a foul into the crowd on the third base side. Strike two. Bob Gibson. Coming back to pitch to what has to be a very big ball game for St. Louis. A one-two pitch. Outside, two balls, two strikes. Cardinals have lost 81. The Pirates have lost 79. And the New York Mets, 78. The two-two pitch. Collins. Hard shot to the short drop. Maxwell's got it. Lynch has been swinging a bat well here. He drew off and hit a couple of wicked fouls and lined to the shortstop, Del Maxo. Now he's enjoying Major League pitching and maybe he's just enjoying Major League conditions. The lights here are a lot better, I'll tell you. 
And the pitchers are around the plate a little bit more than they are in the minor league. Ron Kelly's the batter. Now the rain has stopped out in St. Louis. A very brief shower. Play resumed there. The Cardinals bat on the foot. Henry Kimber, the Cardinals sneaking in in 1964 to win a title on the last day of the season. Curve up high. Ball one. The Reds, the Phillies, and the Cardinals all had a chance to win it on the last day. The Cardinals beat the Mets to do that in 64. Fairley takes the pitch at the knees, strike one. He singled the left field. That's the only hit allowed by Doc Ellis. But it took a weird double play in the first inning to get him out of trouble. With runners at first and third, he gets singled and a bounce sharply off the mound, hit his leg, and carried the cash. Over to Maxson on the first and the disputed call. He gets a double play. Pitch is low and away. Two balls and a strike. Fairly having a big year, hitting it to 300. 17 homers, 48 RBIs. Has had a number of walks. Howell's out of play. Fairly telling Bob and me before the game that uh, when he was informed that he had been sent to Montreal. He thought his career had come to an end. He just didn't want to leave Los Angeles. But he said, boy, things have worked out well. I've enjoyed that. I went to a ball club where I had a chance to play every day. Kept me sharp. And I've had some good years. And he loves it up there. Speaks so highly of the city and the fans they have there. He's had 84 walks this year. To go along with 121 hits. So he's been on base quite a few times. Time call. The count is two and two. And I recall his first major league home run. It came in Forbes Field back in 1958 off Elroy State. The 2-2 delivery. Hit weakly off the third base side. Sanguin out quickly throws. And he got him a great play. Tremendous play. Ellis never moved off the mound. And Sanguin really had to make a great play on it. Doc, for some reason, never broke at all, and Sagian had to go way up the line, and it was there by a good 10 feet or so. And uh, Sagian, I don't know how he got there, but he sure did pounce on it and threw a strike on the first base. Doc uh, just never moved at all. It was a tough play for Sagian. Two down, nobody on. Single in the batter. He hit into that weird double play. Speaking of big years. Nobody's had a better year than this guy. Maybe starts a line shot to left. Willie coming. He's got it. A wicked line drive. That's hard. Hey, that's a hard, hard out. The Expos go down order in the fourth inning. We go to the bottom of the fourth. No score. Tom Speedy Gary Nastasi sweated through a three-set victory over young Phil Dent, while hard-silvering John Newcomb breezed past fellow Australian Dick Creeley in second-round action at the $50,000 Cam International Tennis Open in Niles, Illinois. Nastasi, a Romanian, lost the first set 4-6 to Dent, a 24-year-old Australian, won the second set 6-4 and squeaked to a 7-6 victory in the final set when Dent double-folded several times. Creeley was unable to break the serve of second-seeded Newcomb and the U.S. Open champ in 40 minutes, 6-1-6-2. Sixth-seeded Marty Reason of Evanston, Illinois, beat veteran Clark Graybill for a 6-3, 7-6 victory to also gain a quarterfinal berth. Earlier, Graham Stilwell of Great Britain upset seventh-seeded Texan Cliff Ritchie, 6-7, 5-7, 6-4, 
while eight-seated Brian Gottfried of Baltimore won 7-6-6-4 over Kenny Sensen of Sweden. Eddie Dibbs of Miami defeated Richard Russell of Jamaica 6-2-7-6, and Gerald Batrick of Great Britain down Tobin Ulrich of Denmark 6-1-7-6. More baseball now in the American League after three second game, Boston leading Milwaukee 4-3. Well, a well-played ball game. We're in the bottom of the fourth inning in a heavy rain shower just at the start of the ball game as the national anthem was being played. Delayed this game by a full 36 minutes, but there's been no delay since. And in the scoreless game, the leadoff batter in the fourth inning will be Al Oliver. He tried to rather deep right center field. Pirates fans here tonight, a little bit more enthusiastic, and don't think that can't have an effect on the ball game. You can talk to him in New York and. Montreal. Here's the pitch by Renko. Oliver takes the pitch inside. Ball one. Duke sitting at 290. Here's 20th home run last night. And he's in with 97 RBIs. He'd like to get 100 RBIs. Curve in the dirt. Gets away from Dr. Bellas. Two balls and no strikes. And a fire check. The fire boy. Going to be a very busy man tonight. Picking up wet baseballs all over the field as they're thrown in. The 2-0 pitch by Renko loops into right center field, coming on as Singleton is hanging up. He can't get there. They did. Good boy. He's going to try for second to throw by Lionel. It is not in time. A bloop off the fish in the right center field. It looked like it was going to hang up long enough for Singleton to get there. He never did. It took a funny hop pass in, backing up on the play. Lionel, but Oliver never stopped running, hustling all the way, hustled it into a double. Not get hurt, run and pull out. You can never be embarrassed, and Oliver usually isn't. Raining again in Singapore. Charge on the batter. He struck out in the second and he's looking. Well, he's been shut out the last two games by the Phillies. Curveball, hang tie, ball one. Minko has thrown 26 home run balls. He kept the ball in the park up in Montreal. But that's been a big problem for him. But a tough pitcher with 15 wins, 11 defeats. A look at second base, they have a play there, but not showing is Renko. He waits for Foley to retreat. Comes to Willie with a breaking pitch outside. Two balls and there's six. Yes, goes in the outfield, pinched in to center field. Fairly in left field, off the line, 90 feet. And in right field, single in about 80, 85 feet. The center fielder is shaded in the left center field. Pitch up high, ball three. Renko falling behind on schedule. The count of 3-0. Oh. He had the green light in Montreal against the left-hander, Stassi. And he had the green light and hit a home run. He'll walk him intentionally. The first walk of the night for Steve Renko. Bob Bailey over to Stassi and him. Pirates need this to move to within a half game of the idle New York Mets today. They were rained out. And should the Expos lose, they would be eliminated. But a win by them keeps their hooks alive. No score. The Pirates ran at them in the third. They're going after him here in the fourth inning. Captain the batter. Popped to second base in the second inning. Richie hitting a 273. 25 homers, 73 RBIs. First ball hitting foul. And a low pitch. 
Off the first base side, strike one. Edner admitted he got into some bad habits up in Montreal. Had a very poor series there. Going about one for 23. Came out of it briefly in that 13 to 2 game. Had a base hit last night. And he confessed to just chasing the ball too much and making them, not making them throw it over the plate. Oliver at second, starts of the third, nobody out. Fourth inning. A bunch and it's fouled off the shin guard to Bacabella, snack two. It was Hebner's butt in that final game in Montreal that set up the possibility for the on-deck batter Ricky Zist to drive in two big runs and give the Pirates a 3-0 lead that they held and they won that finale up there. Jockey saving it for Nelly Bryles. Bryles will go tomorrow against Steve Rogers. Quite a pairing. The 2 pitch. Up high. One ball, two strikes. Pirates have dominated the Expos this year, winning 11 of the 15 games. Won six out of the nine in Montreal, have won five of the previous six played here. Renko taking a bit of time mopping the sweat off his brow. Humid night here tonight. The heavy rain. Kind of close. It's starting to cool off considerably. The one-two pitch. Fouled out of play. Down holes at a ball and two strikes. Inning open with a blooper by Oliver into right center field that he just hustled into two bases. They went 3-0 and on Stargell, then decided to intentionally walk him. And hit me the batter now after fouling out on a bump and fouling off on a bunt attempt to count one and two. The look at second, the pitch to Hebner. Curve taken, strike two. Missy's caught looking in a bad time to have that happen. That's the fifth striker. That brings up uh, Richie Zest. He was called out on strikes in the second inning. Pirate pitching in the... Philadelphia series was very, very good. The batting cooled off a bit. This fouls the first pitch, and it's strike one. Renko is going to keep coming at you. He said he's got a little bit of a fire burning inside him. He's a good competitor. Oliver at second base, starts at first. One down, fourth inning. The pitch to Zisk is a fastball inside. One ball, one straight. Youngstreet's out to right field line, shaking the Richie Zisk Here for Zisk. Uh, Dave Justy sign here tonight. First one of the year. Welcome one. But one one pitch. Up high. The count's two balls in the strike. Good crowd here tonight. I would guess upwards of 30, 35,000. Hard to figure. Can't see all the seats above it. But look at second, the 2 1 pitch. Grounded weakly off third. It's foul. Nazarowski keeps it in play. The count is 2 and 2. 
this June, Montreal in two of those games with key base hits. He's batting at 328. Nine home runs, 50 RBIs. Here's the 2-2 pitch. He started to go, but checked off. The curve was down low. Full count of three and two. Deck batter is Manny Sagian, the runner at second base, Oliver, the runner at first, Woody Stargell. Only one down. We keep an eye on the runners to see if they're going. So look at second. They're holding. Ball is hit to third base. Bailey's got it. Goes on for the out at second. Throw to first. They got the double play. 4-3, double play, and Rinko gets out of it with a double on the lock. The Pirates fail to score. No runs on a hit, no errors, and one man left. Now we've completed four and no score. There's talk about a Cy Young Award for Nolan Ryan, baseball's all-time strikeout king, as the American League's outstanding pitcher. The fireballing right-hander ran his record to 21-16 and 16 for the California Angels Thursday night, striking out 16 for a season total of 383, edging Sandy Koufax's record of 382 as ERA is 3.87. Ryan had to go 11 innings before beating the Minnesota Twins 5-4, and he was bothered by a muscle cramp in his right thigh. He had planned another start for Sunday, but now has decided that his season is over. His two no-hitters during the season and a one-hitter put him in the limelight quickly this year and got him more publicity than other Cy Young candidates such as Jim Palmer of Baltimore and Catfish Hunter of Oakland. Ryan from Alvin, Texas, is a model of the clean-living American boy, but set his accustomed modesty for the moment and said, I think I have as good credentials as anyone in the running. In my own mind, I feel I'm as deserving as anyone, and that includes Palmer and Hunter. The only thing they can hold against me is my winning percentage, and statistics don't tell the full story. Harry Dalton, the Angel general manager, said if he doesn't win the signing award, it's a crime. What more can you do? Okay, in the fifth inning now, and no score. And while we have a moment, Presbyterian University Hospital is asking residents of the tri-state area to contribute any crutches they are not using to the hospital. The drive will be from October 1st to October 10th. Now, this appeal is made necessary by a crutch shortage caused by the nationwide scarcity of lumber. Presbyterian requires a large number of crutches, as it's the orthopedic referral center in the western Pennsylvania tri-state region. More than 4,400 surgical and emergency orthopedic patients are treated at Presbyterian every year. Now, as you all know, winter is an especially bad time because of the large number of accidents due to slippery pavements in winter sports. Donations will be accepted at the guard post at the entrance to the parking lot, located between Children's Hospital and Fall Clinic on Fifth Avenue in Oakland. We know you'll respond to that plea by Presby Hospital for crutches that you might not need. And Betsy, if you're listening over there, dear, you got a pair you don't need anymore, so be sure they are given to Presbyterian University Hospital. Jim Lytle standing in. Ball two to him. He flied to center field in the second inning. They're uh, around to the left on this left-hand batter. Ellis delivers high. Ball three to Lytle. Bucks had a golden opportunity there in the fourth inning, getting a fortunate double off Oliver, an intentional walk to Stargell. And we haven't moved him since. There's a strike, and it's three and one. Called out Hebner on a curveball, just dropped right in there, and then Richie had the misfortune to bounce into a double play. That can happen, but 
Here's the three ball, one strike pitch. So give Renko credit for pitching out of a great uh, big jam. Now to 3 1 to Lytle. And he walked him. And that is the second walk given up by Ellis. That'll bring up Bob Bailey, who bounced out to second base his first time up. Cubs and the Cardinals rained out today. Third baseman, Bob Bailey. Can you tell me, Richard, Bob Gibson was going to pitch tomorrow? Man, that's coming back with a lot of determination from a broken leg. Look, the first to pitch inside the Bailey ball one. Remember what I asked you to do, please. Uh, give any crutches you don't have to Presbyterian Hospital as quickly as you can. They're in dire need of them. Here's the one over there running, and the foul is back straight away on the net. Unbelievable that uh, a scarcity of lumber would bring about a crutch shortage, but it's happened. There's so many unbelievable things in our country right now. But I'm sure it's got to get straightened around. But I know that there have to be, within the sound of my voice, an awful lot of people. All right, good. I'm glad you do. And Betsy has a pair at home, so we'll be sure, Nellie, you and I'll send those crutches over to the hospital uh, right away. And I know everybody listening in. If you don't need any crutches you have around the home, please get them to Presbyterian Hospital. They need them badly. One ball, one strike. High slider, ball two, two and one. score, runner first is Lytle. He was running on the pitch before, and uh, Bob Bailey fouled it back. Bailey will kill you if you make a mistake on the pitch, I'll tell you that. Here's the 2-1 delivery, and a swing and a miss by Beatles on a slider, 2-2. Two -two. First thing Gene Mox did yesterday when he went out to St. Clair. Bailey pay you that 175000 back of that home run in New York? I said, slightly. Ball two, strike two. They're running again. A strikeout swing and a throw by Sanguian. Out. Hey, that was some kind of a tag. But that, was. that was great because Sanguian blistered the ball and he had it on the third base side of second. David got it and laid it right on Lytle. So we get a double play. A strikeout on Beatles, Bailey. And the out goes two to four on Lytle. And with two down men on, here is John Bacabella. Great play, and as Nelly just said, and no doubt about it, too, the slipperiness of the infield. And he had to grab a ball and put it on him in a whale of a hurry. And that ball was boosted by the roadrunner that time. Now Ellis with two down men on goes to Bacabella. And he lays off the pitch and fouls it over to the right. Nothing and one to count. Big crowd on hand here tonight. We have one tomorrow at 2.15, and this is a game tomorrow. will be on national television, as will the game in Chicago. They'll be splitting it all over the country with the uh, Mets there. Here's the pitch, and a ball slikes down the right field line out of play. It'll be blacked out in the Pittsburgh area, as it will be out in the Chicago area, but the... NBC folks will be in. I think we got Jimmy Simpson with us here and Maury Wills and or Kubek and the other one uh, will be Kurt Gowdy and whoever is working with him in Chicago. Probably Kubek, Maury Wills be coming in here. Here's the on to Deep foul.
recall any time, and I've looked back through all the lexicons of baseball, where there's ever been a possibility as of this date, right now, two days away from the end of the season, where five teams could end up in a tie for first. It's never happened before in baseball in the major league. Go to pitch underneath the ball, one and two. You recall one, Nelly? Or even reading about it? No, I sure don't, Bob. It's a rather unusual thing, and who'd have thunk it back in April? Yes, indeed, who would have thunk it? One ball, two strikes. Outfield swung left to Bacabella. Here's the one and two, and he beats it off the left side of the diamond. Up comes Maxville, grabs it, throws, and the Expos are down in the pit. No runs, no hits, no errors, a double play in there, and we go to the bottom of the fifth, and there is no score. Here's a look at the scoreboard again. National League, the uh, Mets and the Cubs rained out in Chicago after six full innings of play. Cincinnati leading San Francisco 2 to nothing. Joe Morgan has smacked his 26th home run in the sixth with nobody on for Cincinnati. one to nothing. St. Louis over Philadelphia after four. That game is still being held up by rain. Later, L.A. at San Diego, Atlanta and Houston not scheduled. American League, first of two. Cleveland 6-4 over Baltimore. Titcher over Palmer. Duncan, Williams, and Duffy homers for the Tribe, Baylor for the Birds. Second game, no score after three. Wilcox against Alexander. First of two, Boston 11-2 over Milwaukee. Tion won his 20th. Rodriguez the loser. Yastrzemski, Smith, and the Cooper homers for the Bosox. Scott for Milwaukee. Second game, 4-3 Boston after four and a half. Cabell against Patton. Scott a three-run over for Milwaukee. Evans a three-run shot for Austin. The Yankees 4-1 over Detroit. Bobby Mercer a three-run homer as Mel Stottlemyre won his 16th. Flyman the loser. one to nothing. Kansas City over Texas after an inning and a half. Later on, Chicago at Oakland, Minnesota at California. In the Kansas City-Texas game, it's Lytle against the Bibby. Kansas City getting their only run in the first inning. So that gives you a complete update on the Major League Baseball scoreboard. The big games, of course, in this Eastern Division of the National League. Again, the Chicago Cubs and New York Mets are going to have to play two doubleheaders on Saturday and again on Sunday. Four games in two days. The Cincinnati Reds have already won it in the Western Division. They're still waiting to see who they're going to play. All right, now Manny Sandian standing in. Trying to the right field in the third inning. Renko on a free hitter. They're going to play Manny around to the left. Bailey, Foley, Lentz, and Jorgensen swung a little bit around in the infield. Renko has the sign and the pitch. Manny bunted that one off his eyeballs, and it was a line drive bunt foul down to third. It would have been a good play had he been able to get it somewhere near there because Bailey was very deep. Well, the only thing is it would hit the dog on it. I think Beatles might have been able to pick it up and make a play. Pick it up and throw him out. Oh, he didn't mean to hit it that hard. It just shows you the velocity with which Renko delivered the pitch. Now, Steve Ruddy and the 0-1. And a fly ball left center, Lytle. Drifting back. And it's... Uh, Sitting over, sitting over there with Beth. You think that's the house divided in that group? Nina Lee, you think she'd be rooting for her husband, wouldn't you? I would think so. You think old Beth might be going for the bucks? If she isn't, she ain't going home tonight. That's right. That's what you call a house divided. Low as 
shown earlier that Nina Lee's and Gene's nephew, Roy Smalley, of Southern California, is considered one of the hottest prospects in all of baseball. He's been drafted two or three times, pitch high ball through the matches. And as I get the story, he's turned it down. He's continuing part of his education, but I think he's already turned down 75,000 from the Red Sox. Two balls, no strikes. They say he's going to be a fantastic ball player. Two off. High ball three. Make a pitcher out of him? No, it's like shortstop. Yeah. His mom like his dad, like... Uh, plays oh. on the same club as Ralph Tanner's son, Mike, plays. Here's the three off. He walked Maxville. And that's the second walk. Beginning to get startling to me. We were talking at dinner tonight, Nellie, as number of men that like Kenny Heinzelman came up and is playing now, and I broadcast when his father was pitching. Gus Bell's son is with the Cleveland Club, and I broadcast when his daddy Gus was playing. And, his, and uh, Boone, of course, I never broadcast. Oh, I was broadcasting at the time his daddy was playing, and Bob was playing at Stanford, now playing with the Phillies. It's a little age on you, partner. That's going to happen to you one of these days, Nelson. We're looking for a bun, and Ellis lays it right out in front of the plate. Bailey has the only the one play. And he's on there to win. The sacrifice is five to four. In the second, Maxville Cash will be the batter. Well, I hope that thing does happen to me. It'll happen to you. That's a sign of a good long life. Not only it happen to you, but I'll tell you, you got three beautiful daughters, and it's going to cost you in today's market about 40000 whether to get married. I'll say <laughs> by the time... Uh, to get married, Nelly, that'll cost you about 80000 You're, you're going to put that ladder up and let him loaf, aren't you? That's what you're going to do. You're talking about a country. Yeah. We're going for a ladder shortage. We're going to have people send ladders in here. Ah, Bologna, you and Bernadette are going to hold the most magnificent wedding receptions, and I hope I'm alive to be around. Here's Cash with a base hit into it back. We're nothing, nothing here. Back to the ball game. The whale of a contest, and Renko with Maxwell at second, two down, and no score, the batter catch. The pitch. Slice foul off the right side out of play. The one thing, Nellie, as you get older and the daughters get married and everything, always at Thanksgiving and Christmas, you and Bernadette will have them all come home with their husbands. You'd had three sons, like Mr. Riggy said, you'd have been a very lonely couple. <laughs> he was a dandy in that lecture, wasn't he? <laughs> Nothing in one account. Pitch to the plate. And a ball hit out toward the gap in right center. It may get by. It will. We got a bug on the rut. Pass to Sneakers for second double. Well, you better believe he's sparked this ball club in the last two weeks. Dave Kim. Yes, he surely has. He beats the double out in the right center. Last couple of three weeks, he's hit like he should have been hitting all year, and he knows it. That's one thing about Dave Cash that I've always liked. He's honest. He does an alibi. Came up to me one day the other day. I said, you heard him, Nelly. He said, you know, I get mad when you broadcast when I'm listening. We're not winning. You let it. You get angry. I said, that's right, I do. I said, don't you get mad on the field? Yeah. I said, well, what's the difference? The only thing is, I got a microphone, you got a bat. I guess you're right, Gunner. <laughs> oh, David played some kind of baseball, no doubt about that. Here's Klein now, struck out and lined to center. So the Bucks get a break here with a walk to Maxville. Ellis lays down a beautiful bunt, and Cash finds the gap for a double. Now the pitch is high, ball one. So the Pirates lead one to nothing. And I'll tell you something else. At 10 minutes to 10, 
They are listening in Chicago to this ballgame. Shows you again the, uh, just the ability of fundamental baseball to bunt what it can do for you. Sure does. Maury Wills, little banjo just walked in here. Got to get the banjo in. There's a pitch that's in there for a strike. Last time you were on the air with me, you caused consternation, and besides that, all kinds of trouble. <laughs> Sit down and try it one more time. My little buddy, the banjo player from Dodgerland, Maury Wills. We'll wire him up for a minute. He's in to do the game of the week with NBC tomorrow. One ball, one strike here to Klein, and he checks off the pitch. Boy, I'll tell you, when Maury Wills was playing for the Dodgers, and I called him a banjo hitter, all of his fans that would listen to me down in the Carolinas and through Georgia used to write me letters and give me heck. They didn't realize that not only that I didn't like him as a banjo hitter, but I loved him as a banjo player. That's what I meant. Two on delivery high for a ball. I checked that. It's called a delayed strike. Two-two. I'm umpiring, Maury. I made a mistake. I've been listening to you. Oh, you... It's good to see you, Maury. We'll get a chance to chat here in a minute. Ball two, strike two. Runner out at uh, second base is Cash and Renko working here to Clans. Now Steve on the 2-2 two -two to Gene. And it's hit on a loop off the fist in the shallow right field. It is not caught. Singleton has lost the ball in the light. And Clans has gone to second base. I think he lost it in the light somewhere. That same thing happened up in Montreal. Boy, Wills, you played a lot of baseball. The way he came in on the ball, it looked like he just didn't pick it up at the last moment and maybe never saw it at all. Well, it's very obvious that he lost it in the lights at the last minute, Bob. I think he saw it when he came off of the bat. And as he approached the ball and was about to catch it, he did lose it in the, in the lights, and that's what happened. Well, the, little, the little general comes out here to say a couple of words. Gene Mock. Maury, in all the years you played baseball, and there's no way that anybody can ever say that as of this date, but two days before the season's over, five clubs are in a position to be in a five-way tie. This is unbelievable, isn't it? Yes, it is. I've never seen anything like it. I think in 1971, we did have a close race in the National League West involving the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Houston Astros, but nothing like we have, we're having in the National League East this year, Bob, and it's, it's really fantastic. Now then, to just give you credit, because you know, and here I went on here this spring, and you said the Dodgers wouldn't win it. What you really said, and when I left there the last time, Peter O'Malley was saying, boy, we're going to take it all down, and all of a sudden they weren't there. Maury, uh, you just knew something that apparently nobody else in the country knew. Well, all, all year long, Bob, the Dodgers defied every rule in baseball. Uh, they had a, a rookie third baseman, they had a rookie catcher, they had a rookie second baseman, the second year shortstop. And yet they were able, able to play as well as they did and stay in the first place. I just, I never thought that they would play as well as they did. But uh, there was no way they are going to go all the way. And I think finally the law of average caught up with them. And they just weren't able to stand the pressure going down the stretch in September. And the rest was history. 1-0 to Oliver, a drive in the right field, base hit. Gene finds the third base, they're waving him home. Here comes the throw, the slide, he is out. Great throw by Singleton on a drive to right field by Oliver. And Klein's on the slippery turf. Didn't have all the speed going for him he could get. But don't alibi that. Singleton came up with it, and he, boom. And with two out, you got to send the runner. With one out, I think they're going to hold him. 
Nonetheless, the Pirates get a pair on three hits, strand a runner. End to five, lead two nothing. Well, right now, it's comeback time for the Montreal Expos, as they expect to stay in the East Race. Well, Moy Wells, the Pirates getting a base hit by Al Oliver with a fellow of the speed of climbs on the base pass and two out. One might assume uh, he should have scored. Now, did you happen to see something I might not have? Yeah, well, I thought Kleins, with his running ability, should have scored on that play, especially with two outs. Nothing you have to wait for. But Gene didn't have a good jump from second base at all, Bob. I think he was just standing close to the base, playing it safe. Uh, he wasn't moving up as the pitcher made his delivery. If he had been, he would have had momentum going towards third, which will enable him to get around third base to make a good turn and to get in the home plate. Oh, even though it was a perfect throw by Singleton, let's give him credit. But Gene, with his speed, should have scored. You know, I've noticed, and I've, I've never forgotten this. You gave me a lecture one time, uh, not a lecture maybe, just talked to me and talked to me and talked to me about base leading, stealing, turning around. I've noticed, and I used to watch you after you told me all about it. Right now, the batter standing in is uh, Tim Foley, and that, uh, Ellis is in there low for a ball. You always watch the scoreboard, the position of the outfielders, the infielders, the ball and strike count, how many were out. And you did it every pitch, one ball and strike, and a swing on the changeup, one and one. And that made quite a difference because if you uh, knew the outfielder was playing a certain way and you had it in your mind the ball was hit there, that already preconditioned your mind and your body to do something more. Great, you got, re- you got great re- recall. You better believe I got it. I remember everything you ever taught me. One ball, one strike. I'm going to teach you about a haircut in a moment. There's a memory high ball, too. Who is your newest barber? Where did you get that style? Well, you have to be able to grow it before you can get a cut now. All right, I'll admit I'm a little ball, but I want to tell you something. Don't give me that NBC baloney with that thing. Looks like a muff that you were, for goodness sakes, in cold weather ball three. Where did you get it? I liked you when it was shorter and that little white Pattendale show up up there. Yeah. Well, I still like you, but I mean... Just going along with the times, Bob. Oh, now, in regards to yeah, your yeah. question you asked me recently, right, when you get on first base, for instance, you only have three things to do. Look at the outfielders, see where they're playing. Look at the scoreboard to see how many outs there are. Look at the coach and find out what the times are. Yeah. Not necessarily in that order, but those are the three things you can do it all the time. Each and every pitch. And no matter how fast you are, how slow you are, and then condition your mind to do it every time. That's right. And once it becomes a habit, there's no effort. That's right. Ball three, strike two. Well, you know, Maury, I think that's one of the great differences in some of the ways they play this game today. Ball three, strike two. I think the athletes today are bigger, better, stronger, and everything, but I don't think they apply themselves at all times. The curveball high to pull, he's walked them. That's the third. I really don't, Maury. I don't think that the athletes of today apply themselves mentally to this game like you fellas did. They're, they're bigger, better, stronger in every way. Now, if they would just put the mental aspect to it that you just talked about, they'd be even more stupid. This is my feeling. I don't know how you feel. Well, I'll go along with that. Uh, they're stronger, they're better ball players than in the past. I agree. Uh, applying themselves as, to the mental aspect of the game, I agree again with you, Bob. They do not apply themselves the way the ball players did in the past. I think, again, this is a changing of the time, so... Um, just don't play inside baseball the way they used to. It's more than just hitting, throwing, and fielding a baseball. It's, it's a lot of uh, mental work that goes into the game. And if you're not tired when a ball game is over, then you haven't applied yourself properly. And you ought to be mentally tired, too. You've got to be mentally tired. Well, you get mentally tired, I think, before you do physically tired, and, and then it works on you physically. But after a baseball game, you shouldn't be able to go out to a dance and dance for four or five hours afterwards. Not easily. Boots Day hits it to Maxville. On the catch for one. On the first base high, but held double play. Five, six, four, three. And that 
That is the third double play behind Doc Ellis. And brings up now Mike Jorgensen. We're going to have a new pitcher coming in. It could be uh, Baylor Moore. We'll find out. Or it could be Mike Wallace. We'll find out a little later on when he comes in. Jorgensen standing in. Pittsburgh leading 2-0. No, Moore, uh, I've always admired your style of play because I think you took an ability that was great, but not as great as other fellows. You weren't in doubt with it. And you and you spent nine years in the minor leagues, which many youngsters don't do today. And you worked at it, and you finally got your break, and you played the Dickens out of the ball game, and you became a superstar, and you won it because you put your old think tank. And then, believe me, I'll never forget that that long session you and I had down in Fort Myers, Florida, when you told me about base running and what you ought to do. And uh, you ask anybody about doing it today, and they forget all about it. High fly ball to left field by Jorgensen. Up comes Willie the Starge. And it's all over in the sixth inning. We'll have a chance to talk a little more with uh, Maury Wills in a moment as we go to the bottom of the sixth, leading two to nothing. Right now, let's pause for station identification. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. out of the ball game, five innings, two runs on six hits, and Craig Kasky coming in, a left-hander, 0-0 on the year, and Willie Stoggles, who will be facing him, took him out of the ballpark in Montreal. Maury, it's nice to have you here, and knowing that you're doing so well on NBC television, I know you're enjoying the work, you bring a lot to the game, you've given a lot to the game, and I know you have a couple of remarks you want to make, old buddy. Well, I just want to say it's, it's really um, nice to see Danny Murtaugh back in the game of baseball. Um, of course, um, the way he came in, I'm not, you know, pleased about it, but just good to see him back because I was a favorite of Bill Burton, too. Um, well, I'm, uh, Bill Burton was one of my favorites, I should say. But it, I remember playing for Danny in, in uh, 1957 when I played for the Pirates. He came in halfway through the season. And um, just a, a pleasure to play for him. He's a fine man, you know. I have to put him in the same category as Wall Austin. Just real easy going. Let's your play. He doesn't bother. He doesn't create any pressure. And um, I know that's one reason why the Pirates are doing so well right now. And the other manager, Gene Mark. He's a dandy, isn't he? You he's played for him, too. As far as I'm concerned, he's the, the most outstanding manager in the Major Leagues today. But he's the only manager that's ever made me nervous. Yeah, the only one that's ever made me nervous. We'll get to that in a moment. As Stargell swings on a curveball, let me get uh, Stargell on, off, or out. He's leading everything you can think of. 44 homers, 118 runs batted in, 43 doubles. 104 runs, he's having a whale of a year, and if he's not an MVP I don't know who's going to be. Uh, I know that Rose and Morgan uh, and Bench are going to be considered. There's no doubt about that. There's no question that they're going to be considered, but this man here, if you live up to what I think of the two terms of being the most valuable player to the team, then I don't know how you can overlook Wilbur Dornell Starker. Well, you said let's wait until he gets on and get out. Let's, let's, let's hope that he gets on. I'm, I'm here in Pittsburgh right now. All right, he takes a curve away from Craig Gutkowski, the youngster who is a left-hander, ball three, strike one. And so, there's no more that I could add to what you already said about Willie Starker. He was my roommate when I was with the Pirates. And I consider him one of my best friends. Not just in baseball, but in you know, life. Ball three, strike one to Wilbur, and he's outside, he walks. All right, now, you got something to lay on us right about here. What were you going to lay on? Talking about the little general, Gene Mark. Oh, I was going to say, the only man that ever made me do he didn't have to say anything to me, just being around. Uh, we would be on a plane trip, and it would be in turbulence and everything else, and everyone would be sitting there and concerned about the flight. And I would look up, and I'd see Gene standing in front of the plane, just looking at me. Mm -hmm. 
Gene. I would be in the dugout 0 for 3. Discussed it with myself. I look up. There's Gene looking at me. Yeah. And, uh, he has that habit, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He, he's got a habit of being in the wrong place at the right time as far as the player's concerned. Yeah. Eating a hot dog when you shouldn't be in the dugout, when you think he's in the clubhouse. Or being out 15, yeah. 20 minutes late and curfew, yeah. thinking he's in his suite. He's right there. He's right there. Yeah. You better believe me. One ball, no strike. But by Hebner off the right side of the diamond, Katsky has only the one play on the limb. And the sacrifice goes one to four. I want to tell you something. Mark is one of those guys that throws Murtaugh. You keep thinking you can get away with it. I went to Vietnam one year with Stargold and Mudcat Grant. And you know, you're not supposed, when you leave, to give anything to the Mamasons. But we gave them our boots and the big clothes and everything and gave them a note that, uh, that Willie Stargold, Mudcat Grant, and Bob Prince have given the Mamasons and looked after us in Vietnam all this material. And uh, so we get back to the next spring in camp and Murtaugh says to Stargold and Mudcat and me, uh, do anything wrong in Vietnam? No, Skip, why would we do anything wrong? We're over there to visit with the guys. We're over there 30 days. You sure you're not lying to me? Not at all. He says, how come you gave away all your boots and your equipment illegally? You know what happened? Murtaugh had an MP that was over there to cut the mama son, took all the stuff off, was his next-door neighbor in Chester, Pennsylvania. <laughs> now, you know what Stargill says, Skip? You got ears all over the world. <laughs> We got a man coming in, and he's only one guy, Mike Marshall, and he runs. That's an unusual thing to see this man, and he's going to make his 90th appearance, Maury. That's tied for uh, Wayne Granger, doesn't it, for the Major League record? He's already established it. Has already established the Major League record for most innings by a reliever. He's only one appearance from equally another Major League record for most appearances in one season. Uh, 171 innings. Yeah, he's got a shot at that. Oh, golly, this guy's been unbelievable. And he's finished 71 games, Bob. Yeah. Uh, the previous National League record was 62 by Tim Constantin. Ted Abernathy and Phil Regan, who was with the Cubs not long ago. You know, Morris, speaking of baseball, one of the great changes in baseball since you came into it. Used to be you had the great pitchers with you, Kopax and Drysdale. Yeah. You didn't know what it was to see a relief pitcher, but all of a sudden, in the last several years, that bullpen has become very important, hasn't it? It certainly has. It's, it's, it's so important now that they're beginning to pick relief pitchers to play in the All-Star games. As we remember, uh, Sparky Lyle from the New York Yankees was uh, selected to play into the uh, the All-Star game this, this past year, uh, in the year 1973. And he was really elated about that. And also Jim Brewer from the National League. And I think that's probably the first time that I can remember that really pitchers went in. So it's a specialized thing. And the big thing now is not complete games like it used to be when Colfax and Drive Silver. Drive seven and go to the bullpen. That's right. All right, Richie Zisk is in now. He's over two. We have runners at first and second. The Pirates lead here two to nothing. Maury Wills is chatting here with Nellie and me. And... The Cubs and the uh, Mets have been rained out, and if we can pick up a half game, we can hang in here and win this one. And Marshall throws what looked like a Scrooger, an off-speed breaking ball, ball, a strike call. Got a 27,804, and a uh, rain-delayed ball game. Now, Stargell at second base, with one out here in the sixth, and Richie's just the batter. Bob, I picked the Pirates to win in the spring. 
And uh, for a long time, they really disappointed me. Well, we've come on strong now. We've been struggling, no doubt about that. No balls and a strike. I think the loss of Roberto Clemente right now is showing itself tremendously. Right, a time like this. Stevie Blast, of course, not being able to get untracked. And Doc Ellis out for quite a while with a sore elbow. And you put those three together, and it's... Uh, that's right where we are right now, fighting to win it. That's a lot of ball games lost, and you bet it is. The 0-1 to Zisk is on the outside for the ball, 1-1. One one. Clemente, uh, Morey, I don't have to tell you too much about him. You played against him, and you played with him, and uh, I don't know how you could ever say you ever saw a more complete ball player than Roberto Clemente on and off the field. Never, that's right. Of course, you can get a different perspective when you play against the ball player. We only played 18 games at the no. time against the club. We didn't have the expansion at the period that I'm missing now. But playing with him when I came to the Pirates was more than not thrilled of just playing against him. To see him each and every day, we really began to learn how to appreciate a great baseball player like Roberto Clemente. He could do it all. He, sure he didn't get the acclaim that a Willie Mays got, a Mickey Mantle from the Yankees. But um, he was just as great or greater than both of those ball players. The 1-1 to Zisk is high on the... Oh, chill. I'm sorry. I forgot that my friend, Mr. Pelicutis, behind the plate. He gives us a delayed call. I start guessing with them players after I don't see the right hand for a while. Ball one strike two. I guessed wrong miss. Well, you don't miss with Chris Pelicutis. No, you don't. Anyhow. Not old short Tuesday. Not my buddy. I like Chris. He's a great guy. One ball, two strikes. He's not great, but it's his friend. It's his son is probably uh, one of my biggest admirers. This swings, he doesn't get it, and that's a strikeout. Well, Chris is a darn fine umpire, I'll tell you that. And now, whenever Chris calls me out, his son uh, really uh, gives him the third degree. Did he? Yeah. He says, well, son, you know, I have to call him the way I see him. Yeah. So that's integrity on the part of the umpires. I don't think they would bend one way or the other. Then no way. Call him the way they see it. No way. Tom Gorman, I gave him a brand new glove before the game, before his son, and the first play he had was a close play involving Maury Rosen. You called me out. Well, that goes. He says, thanks for the glove and see you later. <laughs> All right, here is Sam Gian standing in. With uh, running to second base, the pitch they're going to throw outside. That was a pitch out there. Just trying to get Sangy there, I would think, Maury, to swing on a bad ball. They uh, didn't indicate a walk to begin with. Now they're going to intentionally put him on. Well, I tell you, if you don't let Sangi uh, and know that you're intentionally walking, he just might swing at that good. Three feet outside. And hit it, too. Yes, he might. How's your banjo playing now? Before we get everything down to this game, we're leading to nothing. You going to be uh, doing any show business in the offseason, Maury? I'm, I'm going to be Glenn Campbell's opening act this coming winter for all of his uh, concerts around the country. Well, that's great. And I'll be going back to Las Vegas doing my regular thing there. Yeah. Well, you didn't call me banjo for nothing, you know. No, I didn't. No, I didn't, dear friend. All right, I'm going to have to come out and catch your act. Oh, I've seen it before, but I'd like to see it again. Get a haircut, will you, for goodness sake. Two down and uh, <laughs> two out in the outfield shallow to Maxville. They played him shallow before and Little Rascal stung a triple. And he beats a foul off to the left side. Here's a guy that brings something to the ball game, Dal Maxville. You played against him a few times. I certainly have when he was with the Cardinals. But I understand that when Maxville came, it sort of turned the ball club around. Did. Gave you the... Um, the you needed that yep. at, at, at shortstop, but which I was very surprised to hear because I when I came over to the Pirates in uh, 1967, 
Gene Alley was the best shortstop in baseball at that time. No question about it. And, until he was hurt. And he got hurt. He got hurt. And he never really fully recovered from it. Short pass ball and charge or a wild pitch and nobody advances as uh, Bacabella blocked the ball uh, off to his right. Well, let's see. How about those Reds? Their shortstop Concepcion came on to play and do very well. And Maury Wills, if we have a moment quickly, you've seen them both the American and National League now. That Baltimore-Oakland confrontation is going to be some uh, meeting, isn't it? Yeah, you say quickly. I mean, you want me to leave after? No, no, I don't want you to leave. Stay here for goodness sake. I want, I want you to evaluate for us the uh, meeting between Oakland and Baltimore. I hear Baltimore has a club that's just absolutely wild with speed and... Uh, and it'll be an instant series. One ball, one strike to Maxfield. Two on, two out. And a swing and a foul back. Well, Baltimore must have a great team speed club. You're right. They, they have outstanding speed, and they have some power, too, and they, they have great team spirit on that ball club. I give Oakland the edge because it's a short series, and I think Oakland has the better pitchers. Mm-hmm. And Oakland has two, two sharp left-handed pitchers in uh, uh, Ken Holtzman and Vita Blue. And uh, the Baltimore club... Speed is built around Bumbury and Coggins, who are both left hitters, and they'll be out of the lineup yeah. for that. So I'll have to go along with that. I haven't been right all year, but I'm just... Don't worry about it. You're hanging in there. There's a foul away. One and two. Yes, you have. But you've been right a lot of times. Just one more time than you have. Yeah. I lead the National League announcers in error in 11. I made 11 mistakes this year broadcasting. That's an all-time record for National League announcers. Ben Scully is a close first. He's only made one. Well, when I joined, <laughs> when I joined NBC, I made 11 first in the first minute. <laughs> it's kind of frightening you when you look into that microphone and you realize you're speaking about 50 million. Changes things around a little bit. One ball, two strikes, the pitch to Maxville. And he misses Marshall. He's very close on that one. Never get the first night game I did in the World Series of all time. And the fellow says, make it good now, Bob. They're going to be about 80 million looking in. He might as well have grabbed me right by the throat. <laughs> Ball two strike two, two down, two on, in the sixth, Pittsburgh leading two to nothing. We're visiting here with Maury Wills, one of the greatest baseball players of them all. Now with NBC television, here's the 2-2 pitch, and Maxi hits the drive into the left field line, and they're going to have to hold up Sargio, and they're going to get him out as he's overrun third, and Foley gets the out. In the first place, I want to tell you something, Sargio missed third coming around. And then he went, started to go back when he got the hold up, and Foley was right there, and he grabbed him. Yeah, well, I, I tell you, uh, I didn't see Willie miss the base. Perhaps he did, Bob, because I wasn't looking I at that. I thought he did, yeah. Right, but uh, he remembered that back, and he played it right. He didn't stop until the coach stopped him. A leopard, if it's, uh, in this right. case. Oh, it's, it's a man, I'm yeah. sorry. But uh, Willie, with all of his, uh, his weight and his speed going like that, just didn't have the agility on this wet turf to put on the brakes and get back in time. Ron Bailey, being a veteran, did not throw the ball to the cutoff man going home. He threw the ball directly to the third base. Right. And that was, a, that was a, he made a good play to get Willie out. It wasn't a bad play on Willie's part, nor the coach man. Absolutely right. And the out went to the shortstop, Foley, who came over to cover. And the out was 7-6. to six. That's right. You fellas stick with me and you'll be there all the time. No runs, one hit, no errors, and two left in the six. It's two nothing in favor of Pittsburgh. Seven of the nation's top ten college football teams figure to run up the score Saturday, but top-ranked Southern California and number nine Tennessee must be sharp to remain unbeaten. USC hosts number eight Oklahoma Saturday night in the Los Angeles Coliseum, while Tennessee is at home in Knoxville to take on arch-rival and number 13 Auburn. Both the Trojans and the Vols are one-touchdown favorites. 
Larry Lynch, Rod Fairley, and Singleton will bat in the seventh inning as the Expos keep it close here with a couple of good defensive plays. Nailing a runner at home and a runner at third in the last two innings against the Bucks. Pitch up by ball one. Lynch walked in the first inning and stole second base. In the fourth inning, he lined to the shortstop, Dal Maxwell. The pass playing to left field. Pitch away. Two balls and no straight. Two-nothing to score. The Pirates lead. A wind-up by Ellis. The 2-0 pitch to Lynch is outside. Ball three. Well, this is a guy you don't want to put on, particularly to lead off an inning. Time call. Sanguian. Out to talk to Ellis. But what you don't want to do, sometimes you wind up doing. Let's pause. Well, we've got a moment. 20 seconds for our local station. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. That Philadelphia St. Louis baseball game is still being held up by rain, with the Cardinals winning it one to nothing after four full innings. Of course, the rainout means probably yet another doubleheader on Saturday. The three-out pitch is taken. Strike one. Say hello to everybody on the American Forces Network around the world. Been rather active on that network the last week or so. The 3-1 pitch. He just on the corner of the fastball. The count three and two. Now Ellis comes back to run the count full at three and two. The leadoff batter wins in the seventh inning, leading two to nothing. He's in, and a line drive, he got a base hit into left center field, skidding out there, and Kleins is going to make a tough play. He holds him to a long single, a fine play by Gene Kleins. And a runner at first base to open up the seventh inning as Lynch singles on a 3-2 pitch. Becoming a very fine-looking ball player on offensive performance. They said it didn't even hit 200 down on the International League, but he's sure doing much better against National League pitching. Bring up fairly with a single to left field. He tapped that in front of the plate in a fine play by Tank Gian. He threw him out in the fourth inning. Lynch at first. He's a threat to steal. He's already swiped one base tonight. Pitch away, ball one. Calicutis, the home plate umpire. Ellis steers in at him. Wanted to know where that pitch was. not going to pitch away ball two we have activity in our bullpen Dave Justin and uh, left-hander Jim Ford time call and I believe that's going to be all for Doc Ellis now Wright coming out to the mound a little bit of a shower starting to fall here and of course this is a complete ball game should the rains come and they continue to fall this score would stand as it is right now with the Pirates out in front, 2 to nothing. It is raining in St. Louis. They were rained out in Chicago this afternoon, so I guess this thing is coming this way and how long it's going to last. We have no way of knowing. We had a very heavy shower earlier tonight with about uh, 36 minutes delay at the start of the ball game. No delay here. They're going to continue, and I'll stay with Doc Ellis in this situation. The count is 2-0 on Ron Fairley. 
This game was kept close and a great play by Kenny Singleton. On a throw to the plate. Back in the Pirates' uh, fifth inning when we scored a couple of runs, they got Klein's as uh, he tried to score from second base on a line drive by Al Oliver. They nailed Stargell at third base in the following inning. Here's a 2-0 pitch. High fly to right field, rather deep. It back is this on the warning track. He has room. He's got it. Well hit ball by Fairley. But Ellis kept it in the ballpark. Flies very deep to right field. He stays in the ballpark and Lynch comes back to first. So Singleton is a batter. Marley is a guy that I guess has uh, turned things around in Montreal. He's taken the place of Rusty Scott, Kenny Singleton. He's become quite a hitter. Yes, he has. I think Singleton is the type of player that really needed an opportunity to play every day. As long as he stayed with uh, the club like the Mets, stay with platoon him, or stay with the Dodgers, or the Pirates. They uh, like to platoon a lot. Uh, Singleton never would have become the ball player that he is right now at this stage of his career. Larry Lynch at first, a threat to run. He's going, the pitch is lined in the left field. Stargell coming out, he can't get it. It's a base hit. Lands right in front of him. Throw through to second base and back in time is Lynch. Another wickedly hit ball. He lined hard to Stargell on the fourth and this time he dropped it in front of him. That'll bring up Jim Lytle, the center fielder, another left-handed batter. But the Expos have runners at first and second. The tying run on at first. The go-ahead run at home plate in White. Now that's one reason uh, or another reason why Ken Singleton is a good hitter because he hits to all fields. He doesn't know himself where he's going to hit the ball. He might, uh, hitting left-handed, he might hit a ball to left field, right field. He might throw to the right or might hit it to center. And just the opposite if he's hitting from the right side of the plate like Roberto Clemente. You couldn't play him one way. Here's, the, pardon me, here's a pitch to Lytle. It's down low, ball one. I guess it widens up your hitting stroke, doesn't it? When you can go to that opposite field, you can wait longer. Well, it does, uh, and, and it keeps the, the fielders honest. When they're honest, they can't punch you like they would do a Ted Williams. You could shift them over to right field like they do Willie McCovey today and things of that nature. It gives you much more hitting room. Fagel has sent them out this year going to left field quite a bit. Something he wanted to do, and he's done it. He made a double play ball. Lytle. Rounds the first base, Oliver gets one for sure. He goes on to second, throws the ball on left field. One run will score, and in trying to get two, he didn't get anybody. A bad play by Al Oliver. He hurried the throw to second base, threw very poorly in the dirt. We don't get anybody, and instead of trying to get just one, Stoops, I believe, tried to get two. Well, Nelly, you, you said it, when you said he tried to hurry to throw right, that was the key. Uh, with one out like this, anytime you have to hurry to throw to second to get the advanced runner, you may as well take your time and go to first and get one. Uh, believe it or not, Sandy Kopak, the pitcher, taught me this. Playing for the Dodgers in the 60s when we won a lot of pennants. Sandy said, Maury, come on, guys, let's not get fancy now. Just get me one. Make sure one. I'll take care of the other guys. But you mess around, trying to port to a double play and get no one, and now you're in trouble. You've got only one out now, and you've got the situation that's tying run at second base. Bailey's the batter. He swings and misses. Strike one. The rain continues to fall, but not very heavily here. Just a slight dribble. But the Expos have life on an error. There should be two down. A runner at first. But they have him at first and second. Here's the pitch to Bailey. Swing and a miss. Strike two. Well, it's leaned on a pretty good sinking fastball there. Doc, Doc, well, when Doc's right, uh, I tell you, he's, he's one of the toughest pitchers in the game today to hit. But the only thing that he hasn't gotten yet is consistency. He, he'll go out there one night and he'll have great stuff, 
the next time you might not have anything and on down the line. Would you agree with that, Millie? That's the key to being a great player or pitcher up here. That's like consistency. Bailey outside of the pitch, one ball and two straight. And to do it every year for a string of 10 years or more, oh, like right you right. did, Clemente, like Stodge is doing, Maserati and guys like that. Oh, oh like the Ferguson yeah. Jenkins yeah. winning five, uh, for five years in succession, winning 20 games. Tom David, uh, uh, four out of five for the past five years winning 20 games. That's really difficult to have that consistency. A one-two pitch inside of the fastball, two balls and two strikes. Takes a lot of dedication to do that, doesn't it? I think that's where greatness is measured and, and what you do from year to year to year to year, not just one big year. Uh, especially to be a, a, an outstanding major leaguer, you don't have to really be fantastic or sensational. Just be consistent, and I think you're a good major league baseball player. The count is two and two, one down, the pitch to Bailey. Swing on a strike three. He tried to hold up on a breaking ball. And that was pitched in beautifully, Mark. Yeah, well, now he looks like the Doc Ellis uh, when he's on. And, uh, and just great. And that's the right pitch to, to throw to Bob Bailey, who's a free swinger. Change speed, keep the ball away from him. And he set him up beautifully with a pretty good fastball inside. Came right back with that two ball. That's two down. The air right now hasn't caused any problems with Bacabella. Step out of turns. It's bounced to second. It's bounced to short. Right-handed batter with a runner at second base, Singleton. He's a tying run. The Pirates lead by one, two to one here in the seventh inning. Here's the pitch to Bacabella. Fly ball to left center field. Coming on is Klein. Still coming. Still coming. He didn't get it. They score a run. They're going to wave the runner on from third and second base. The throw not in time. He scores. Thank Ian drops the ball and he explodes lead three to two. Klein's got a bad break on that ball in center field. He started to come, but not fast enough. He tried to outrun it. He couldn't do it. And the Expos scored two big runs here. Well, I tell you, now, you see, in a situation like this with two outs, the outfielders want to play deep to stay away from the extra base hit. And by, by playing that way, which is the right way to play if you're going to go by the book at this stage of the game, then if a ball falls in front of you, then you really can't blame the player. Because you cannot be in two places at one time. You have to play one way or the other. And that's what happens to Klein. The ball took a funny hop away from him. He almost got the ball right off the shoe top. Stargell came up with it. His throw sailed off the line on the first base side. And the run scored, beating the play at the plate, Jim Lytle. He just eluded the tag by Sank Ian. So the Expos lead three to two. That error does come back to run. That should have been the third out on Bailey. Ground ball, weekly off third. It's foul. And it shows you just one play, what it can do, give you an extra out in the inning, Mari, and it's uh, cost you a couple of runs. Exactly. If we, if, if, if I say we, I shouldn't say we. I, I was just, I should say we. I'm going to fire that with you. If Oliver, our Oliver had just made sure and gotten the one, then we would have been out of the inning. We wouldn't have had this problem. And that's part of high school, too. Right. Yeah. But it verifies what Sandy Kopak uh, said to me years ago. Just get me one. Holy swings in the foul tip. He strikes out. Held by Sanguin. But the Exos take advantage of the air on the part of the Bucks going three times on three hits, one air, and they stand one. We go to the bottom of the seventh. The Exos take the lead for the first time. Three to two. Well, Mike Marshall, who has been the top reliever in 
the National League, and I guess in the Major League. They, they might get an argument. I guess with John Hiller in Detroit, he's had the whale of the year, Molly. Oh, yes, he just broke the record that most appearances are saved, I'd say, in, in one season. He broke Clay Carroll's record. Clay Carroll being with the Cincinnati Reds last season. Right. Uh, saved uh, 37 games, and uh, John Hiller had uh, 38 up the last couple of days. Maybe he's picked up another, I don't know. Fine pitcher. Well, Marshall leading uh, with a score of 3-2 to two here. Face Dave Parker, pinch hitting for Doc Ellis. Parker batting at 281, four home runs, he's driven in 12. And it's Cole Marshall with a good screwball of his, can use it effectively here. But he better not make a mistake, this guy can hurt. He started to go, did he swing? He won a field play at third, and the third base umpire Crawford says no. Ball one. Here's a fella that's got amazing speed, Marley. A big guy, 60. Yeah. I've had some good, some fantastic things about him. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him play tomorrow as well as tonight. Um, he's just super. The one open. He swings and misses, and they pitch in the dirt. One ball and one shot. But he's young. They didn't want to bring him up this year, but uh, the necessity... Uh, the way the Pirates are going, they had to. And he's uh, handled himself pretty well. Oh, I was going to say, he's young, but uh, by the time he finishes batting against Mike Marshall, he'll be old. He'll have experience, because <laughs> this guy is really tough to hit. Two ball, that's right. Two balls in the strike. He gets some blessings out of uh, misfortune sometimes. The Pirates are forced to bring a guy up like this. Unfortunately, he was able to handle it. He's going to have more confidence next year. Oh, yes. Uh, Cincinnati brought up some young players. Uh, Ken Griffey, Dreesen, uh, 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 the third baseman. Swing and a foul off the first base. I had to count it two and two. And Armbruster has uh, done well for them, too. Uh, young pitcher, Bainey. And they've done a great job. I think they just boxed the club right on that the final few weeks of the season, right on to the uh, National League with the regional championship. What was your first year? 59? 59 was my first year. World right. Championship? World Series. Uh, the Tampa Bay Yes, it was. But, you know, as a rookie, Nelly, I really didn't, didn't, I wasn't able to appreciate how great it was to be in a World Series and to be on a World Championship baseball team. Because I was a rookie, I didn't realize the what significance of it all. The following year, when I saw someone else playing, it then it dawned on me how great it was. Parker swings and misses, strike three. So Marshall picks up uh, the strikeout, his second, since he came on in the sixth inning. Next, Rose has to win here to stay alive, and they lead three to two. And a couple of iron runs in the seventh inning. Yeah, but the Pirates got to win here, too. Uh, they sure do. And being a former bucko myself, uh, uh, but working for NBC and the network, I have to be stay neutral, you know, and I can't pull for any one particular team. But you handle it well, Maurice. Oh, you handle it well. You can't get hung on that cash to double and drove in the first round in the fifth inning. Takes the breaking ball for a strike. That close lead, three to two. Now they understand we're going uh, armed forces all over the world. Well, well, that's really great. And I like to go on record saying hello to all the guys overseas. And Nolan Ryan just broke Sandy Koufax's strike strikeout record. 383. Wow. He's a lot of kids. He's a tired young man right now. Nelly, that reminds me of you. Oh, I could blow. Oh, you could bring it. <laughs> As they say in the game, you could bring it. Fly ball, right field. Not deep enough. Dripping over in the right center. Lytle's going to grab this one. The center field has got it. Three down. 
I never see right in my dreams, Mike. Well, but they tell me uh, that you moved to first base. Uh, with, I think I could have thrown the base off of you. <laughs> you think? That's a testimonial to me. <laughs> you stole 105 on you. Uh, 104, but do you think you could have uh, kept me uh, close to the base? Did I see well, most of my stop is second. Never, oh, yeah. Never second. And I backed up third very well. And things like that. <laughs> yeah, little, little things you have to do. Yeah, well, you got to practice. With, you can do that with this. Uh, consistency, huh? All right. Finds the batter. we got to get something going here. With two down in the seventh inning against Marshall. He bunts it out in front of the plate. Marshall will take it. Now, Bacabella throws, and a fine play is got fines at first base. Good play by John Bacabella. Now, the fast get down in order in the seventh inning. We've completed seven, and the Expos lead three to two. Now, the Los Angeles Rams for real. The San Francisco 49ers intend to find out Sunday. The Rams and their new coach Chuck Knox have been the surprise team of the Young National Football League season, blowing past Kansas City and Atlanta to grab the lead in the National Conference West. San Francisco, the club against whom the Rams apparently became a team in three seasons, will try to derail the Rams before they get too far ahead. The Rams were winless in three preseason games until they met San Francisco, and they ran the 49ers off the field. They haven't lost since taking their two final exhibitions and their first two regular season contests. The 49ers have won the NFC West for three straight years, but they've dropped five games in a row to the Rams. A loss Sunday would put San Francisco, which dropped its opener to Miami, and then had to struggle for a 36-34 victory over Denver last week, two games behind. While the Ram offense under new co- uh, quarterback John Hadle was expected to do well this season, the question mark was the defense. They answered the question last week, turning in the club's first shutout in 27 years and completely dominating an offense that scored 62 points in its opener. The Rams allowed only 70 points, four through the year, and beating the Falcons 31-10. to 10. So that gives you a look. Merlin Olsen, the Rams' star defensive tackle, was awed by his club's performance last week. I don't remember ever in high school, college, or professional having played in such a defensive unit, Olsen said. Right now, let's pause for station identification. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. You're listening to the voice of information for the American Forces at 790 and 1420. Yeah. Dave Justy. All the runs for Montreal are unearned runs. The three they scored in the seventh. Now Dave Justy is on. Ellis went seven innings, no runs, three unearned runs, gave up a total of four base hits, struck out five, and he walked three. And now Justy is in. This is his 66th appearance. I'll tell you one thing. That Marshall set about every record in the book tonight, isn't he? He's already established the Major League record for the most innings by a reliever in one season, the National League mark for the most games finished in one season, and he now has equaled another Major League record for the most appearances in one season held by Wayne Granger. He's wrapping it up pretty doggone good, but he's not out of the woods yet. We got some pops coming here as Justy goes here. 
Bob, by the way, this appearance by Jeffy equals a career high for him. He had 66 appearances in 1970. First year over. He's going to face Mike Marshall here. Pitched by Justy, swinging a foul. Strike one. Marshall, not a bad hitter. He's hitting at uh, 233. He started out as an infielder in the Detroit Tiger organization. That's in the eighth inning. We'll have Oliver Stargell and Hebner going to try to tie it up and go ahead. And right into the meat of our batting order for the next two innings. There's a pitch from Justy down low. One ball and one strike. Ellis pitched a fine ball game, and we came up with a couple of... Uh, plays that hurt us in the seventh inning. No doubt about that. One ball, one strike pitch from Dave Justy. Slider hit to the right side out of play. In the seventh inning, Lynch got a base hit to left. Then with one out, Singleton got a hit. And that's the ball at... Uh, Bacabella hit, the one we weren't able to hold. In the outfield, and uh, in came a big run, but uh, back in came two big runs. A little got aboard on an error when we didn't make uh, sure of getting at least one out. Two balls, two strikes here to Marshall, and Justy low, ball three, three two. have their work cut out for them, and as you know, this is the game Montreal has to win. If they lose one, they're done. They've got to just win uh, tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday in order to even ensure a chance to be in a, a tie. Ball three, strike two. And don't think they're not going after us. Here's the three-two pitch. Marshall smacks it off the right side base set. Marshall gets the fifth hit of the ball game. And the batter now is going to be Mike Jorgensen, who fly to left, one out, picked to the first, and fly to left. Remind you again, as Mike stands in, Presbyterian University Hospital is asking residents of the tri-state area to contribute any crutches they are not using. The drive will be from October 1 through the 10th. This appeal is made necessary by a crutch shortage caused by the nationwide scarcity of lumber. Presbyterian requires a large number of crutches. It's the orthopedic referral center in the western Pennsylvania tri-state region. So if you have crutches you're not using, please take them over there. Bouncing ball, Cash, great play. On to short, on to first, not in time. What a play by Cash on a ball that looked like a base hit for sure. Sliding in, taking uh, Maxie out of the play, Marshall, but what a play by Cash. There was a base hit till he grabbed that one. Great play, David Cash. You got a runner out. And Marshall, that went four to six. And put Jorgensen on first on a force play. And bring up Larry Little. Or rather, Larry Lynch. Who walked, lined to short, and singled and scored a run. Left-hand batter. Justy checks it first. They hold the runner. The pitch slapped out toward left in Stargell territory. Wilbur's there. Two down. That'll bring up Ron Fairley. Single to left. 
Went out on a great play from San Guillen to first base. Fly to right. Ron Fairley made a great play in the sixth inning when he took a shot by Maxwell to left for a base hit. And he threw right to third base where Foley was covering and he's got Stargill who had rounded the bag, tried to get back and couldn't make it. And uh, that was a big one there. You don't know what you might have done with the bases loaded and two out. We'll never know. Bouncer down to first. Oliver flagged it down as foul. No balls and a strike. Montreal leads here 3-2. Two down and one on in the eighth inning. A game they must win, a game we want to win, but don't have to particularly provided, of course, that uh, you're going to get some help from Chicago. Every time you lose one now, you've got to start looking to the other side of the fence and find out if you're going to get any help. You can't get healthy losing right now, I'll tell you. No, you can't. But you need help from the Cubs right now if we are to lose this game. And they got a doubleheader tomorrow and a doubleheader Sunday. We have one tomorrow with the Expos at 2.15 and Sunday Fan Appreciation Day. There's a base hit up the middle on a high pitch that just hung up there from Justy. Fielded by Parker and filed, uh, fired in. Fairly singles up the middle on an eyeball hanger. And that'll bring up Singleton, who has one hit in three at-bats. Pirates were fortunate to get a run in the fifth inning. When with one out of Maxville walked, sacrificed him to second. Cash hit a double in the right center for one run. Now we're going to get a runner coming in here. But Klein hit a ball in the right center. Singleton lost the ball in the light. So now the runner is Ron Woods. Running for Ron Fairley. Pinch runner here with two men on. And the batter, Ken Singleton. Dave Justy pitching. In the bullpen, Buck soliciting a left-hander and Jim Four. And a right-hander and Jim McKee. Two out, three-two, Montreal in the eighth inning. Justy checks delivers. Singleton hammers a wicked foul, and they're putting contact to Justy tonight in this inning, anyhow, as we haven't seen in quite a while. And hitting the ball right on the nose. No balls and a strike. Again, David Reddy. Checks out at second to the runner, Jorgensen. Sends it right over the plate to the low. One ball, one strike. Singleton. Justy delivers. 
And there's a foul to the left that's out of play. A count of one and two. One ball, two strikes. Mike Marshall opening with a base hit to right. Off Dave Justy, he was forced on a ball hit by Jorgensen on a great play by Dave Cash, who really had to make a sensational grab off to his left. Then uh, Larry Lynch lined out the left and fairly singled up the middle. They put Ronnie Woods in the run for him. So we have runners at first and second, two down, eighth inning. And the score, Montreal three, Pittsburgh two. And Ken Singleton, one ball, two strikes to batter. Around to the left. We'll look over to second to pitch. And inside delivery, ball, two, strike two. With Hebner, Maxville, cashing all over the infield. Stargell, Parker, and this the outfield. Two balls and two strikes. A very tense moment here and a very tense ending to the 1973 season. And it is far from over. Ball two, strike two. Cubs in the, uh, rather, the Cardinals. Here's the pitch, and it's low ball three. Cubs and the Mets were ringed out of their ball game. And the Cardinals and the Phillies playing. And it's been raining for two hours in St. Louis where the Cardinals lead one nothing at the end of four. That's not a legal ball game. So we're having a rain problem now from the Midwest on. We've had hard rains here and one delay of 36 minutes. But then it started to rain again, and they continue to play, and it's three to two count, and the runners break, and a ball slap foul, and Singleton is hanging alive. And every time you see somebody up there swinging and fouling off, you better hold on to your hat. New York at Chicago, as you listen around the world on American Forces Radio, we'll play a doubleheader tomorrow and a doubleheader on Sunday. Well, in some parts of the world, tomorrow is right now with you in and around uh, Southeast Asia where the time zone is flipped and you're a day ahead of us. Ball three, strike two pitch. And a strikeout swinging to Ken Singleton and that will retire the side. No runs and two hits, no errors and two left. At the end of seven and a half, Montreal leading Pittsburgh three to two. Here's a look at the American League updating the scores. The Boston Red Sox took a pair from Milwaukee and had 11-2 in the first game. Louis Tion won his 20th. Ed Rodriguez was the loser. Carl Yastrzemski had a grand slam homer. Reggie Smith a three-run shot and Cecil Cooper a solo shot for Boston. Scott had a solo shot for Milwaukee. Second game score, 5-3. Both Sox, Marty Patton won his 15th. Cobell was the loser. Scott had a three-run homer for Milwaukee in that one. Darrell Evans likewise a three-run shot for the Red Sox. First of two, Cleveland 6-4 over Baltimore. Dick Kidrow got the win over Jim Palmer. They, uh, Don Baylor had a solo shot for Baltimore. Dave Duncan, Walt Williams, and Frank Duffy all had solo shots for the Indians. Second game, Baltimore with seven runs in the fourth inning. Leads it 7-3 after five and a half. Lamb came on in the fourth, relieving Wilcox for Cleveland. Doyle Alexander going for the Birds. The Yankees 4-1 over Detroit. Mel Stottlemyre the winner over Woody Fryman. Bobby Mercer a three-run homer. Kansas City leads Texas after a 7-4 by a score of 4-2. It's Littell against Bibby in that one. Just getting underway, it'll be Chicago at Oakland, also Minnesota at California. All right, here we go now. Ken 
signaling this move from right field to left. Ron Woods has gone into center field. He was the runner for Ron Fairley, so Woods is in the number three spot, and he's playing out in right field as we go now to the bottom half of the eighth inning, and Pirate Baseball's been brought to you by your... Updating the scoreboard in the National League now. They've played ten and a half, and Cincinnati's still 2-2 between the Giants and the Reds. Al Oliver, the batter, Mike Marshall, the pitcher. Oliver with a double and a single and a fly to right. The pitch. Slams a foul off third over the head of Mazeroski. Ball one. A strike one. Down his shoe. He's won 13 and he's lost 11. And he's uh, got a shot here. He set every record in the butt. That's 30 saves. There's a high foul off a hanging curve out of play to the right. He established a new record for appearances. Wayne Granger had held that one. Game resumed in the St. Louis rainout, and Segui, Diego Segui, pitching in the fifth. Nothing in two count. Cardinals leading there, I think, one to nothing in the fourth, at the end of four. All right, we'll double-check it. Uh, Rich, give me this. Is it one nothing, Cardinals? In the four. Pitches outside the ball, one and two. Flied to right field in the first inning, doubled in the fourth, didn't score, singled in the fifth. And on that play, we had a man thrown out of the plate. Here's the one-two pitch. And he slapped it down third, and a great play by Bailey up by third, throws over for the out. He was playing on the line where he should have been playing on a game of this tight situation late innings. If he's over where he normally would play in the early part of the game, he never gets that ball. But he was playing on the line, and he threw him out. The batter, Willie Stodgill, struck out in a walk twice. Stodgill, who leads the major leagues in home runs, 44. Who has 118 runs batted in. Who leads the major leagues in doubles with 43. They don't infield, shift him. They know he can go that way to left field, so they, uh, Gene Mock has his club deployed differently on Wilbur. And Marshall throws a strike at the knees called. Montreal leading here. 3-2. One out. None on. Eighth inning. Nothing in one to count. Marshall will wind up. The right-hander works. And there's a changeup. Hit foul off the first base side. And Stargell, no balls, two strikes. The batter with Richie Hebner waiting. Montreal leading here, three to two. Now Marshall on the 0-2 pitch, and he's high with his fastball. One ball and two strikes.
Ball one, strike two. Marshall getting the sign from his catcher, John Bacabella. One-two delivery, change up, hit in the right field for a base hit. Bouncing into the corner. Ronnie Woods going to get it. Stoggle turns first and drops back in. Good play by Ronnie Woods, the right fielder, the whole Stoggle to a single. Ball hit out there and splashed through the water. Now Richie Hefner the batter. Hefner is 0 for 2. Popped to second. Struck out. Sacrifice. against Marshall. That is the second hit. So, Hefner's standing in here now. Time call. Dave Augustine will run for Stargell. Dave Augustine will run for Willie Stargell. Montreal leading here. 3-2 to two in the bottom of the eighth. One out and one on. What a finish this has been to the 1973 season. Here's the pitch to Hefner. Inside off the fist for a ball. What a job Gene Mock has done with the Montreal Expos. And in absolute belief of that, the ownership has extended his contract for another year or so. And they are battling you here, I'll tell you now. The Montreal Ball Club. It looked over to first base to Augustine and the 1-0 to Hefner. Here it comes. And it's high and away. Ball two. Two balls. No strike. No activity at all in the Montreal bullpen for right now. And why should there be? Mock's got his best man out there. And leads by a run three to two. They're about straight away. A little bit off to the left. A gap in right center field to Hebner. Augustine off first to pitches. High ball three, three and oh. Marshall. Three balls, no strikes. Hefner looks down to Mazeroski coaching third. I want to tell you, this is some sizzling series here. And it starts up again tomorrow afternoon and again on Sunday. I think there's any way you're going to know who's going to be the National League champion until Sunday, and maybe we'll have to go to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Here's the trio to Hebner. He pops it up. Shortstop Foley. Getting under. And it is two down to Richie Ziff, who struck out twice and bounced into a double play, five to four to three. the batter. Runner at first base is Stargell. There's uh, Augustine running for Stargell. The Expos are working their way now down into the bottom of our batting order when we come up in the ninth. This gets a ground ball to shortstop Foley. Underhands it on to Lentz, and the side is retired. No runs, and one hit, no errors, one left. End of eight. It is 3-2 Montreal. 
Two old warriors, 46-year-old George Blenda and 38-year-old Lynn Dawson, will be in the spotlight and on the home screen when the Kansas City Chiefs host the Oakland Raiders in a sold-out battle for the AFC's Western Division lead Sunday. Blenda, who may reach his peak around the time he becomes eligible for Social Security, gave Oakland all his points with four field goals as the Raiders snapped Miami's 18-game winning streak with a 12-7 victory last week. It was the third time he has kicked four field goals in one game for Oakland, and it gave him seven straight for the season. Dawson, a 17-year veteran, completed 11 of 14 passes for 180 yards to set up both Kansas City scores and the Chiefs' 10-7 victory over New England last week. He missed the Chiefs' 23-13 loss to Los Angeles in the opener with a sore thumb. Traditional rivals in the West, both teams are tied with Denver and San Diego at 1-1. One the Oakland-Kansas City Series stands at 13-13-2. Last year, they each won a game at home. Eight of Sunday's NFL games, including the Raider Chief game, were reported sold out and will be shown on local television. There were ten games sold out the first week and six last week. Only five teams are still unbeaten and untied as the end of the third week of play. Pittsburgh in the AFC and Dallas, Los Angeles, Minnesota, and St. Louis in the NFC. All right. I'm getting the Major League Baseball scoreboard. It is still 2-2 two to two between San Francisco and Cincinnati after ten and a half innings. Also, the Philadelphia-St. Louis game is again underway. Philadelphia failed to score in the top of the fifth. It's now an official ball game no matter what happens. St. Louis still leading one to nothing. Right now, as far as for station identification, this is the American Forces Radio and Television Service. This is the Southern Command Radio Network. Yeah, well, stand again. Of the American Forces Radio and Television Service. In the seventh inning, all three Montreal runs are unearned as we fail to remember that in that particular situation, make sure it won out. And we didn't get it. And it landed up also on a ball we didn't catch. And see you later. Hi to Jim Lytle. Ball one. It becomes extremely frustrating uh, to the home fans when they see games at this stage of the race that uh, we should win. When you're ahead 2 nothing and you see it's something to come up and they get the runs. There's a high fly to right field. Running forward is this. And coming over for it is uh, Parker. And he grabs it at the wall at the 385 mark. That ball was tattooed. But I would remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, Nellie and I have seen a lot of ball games this year in the same category. We saw it way back in April, and in May, and in June, and in July. And we won some ball games we shouldn't have won. So you subtract those from the games that you did win that, uh, or you lost that you shouldn't have lost, and then when you find it out, you even that out, and then if you're, if you lost about eight more than you won, in that category, well, then uh, that's how you call it. Bailey 0 for 3. Takes the ball outside. In other words, if you won 10, you shouldn't have won. And you lost 10, you shouldn't have lost. Well, then you're even, aren't you? In there for a strike. Because your tendency is always to forget the games that you won that you shouldn't have. And remember the games you lost you shouldn't have. And we've had a lot of both rows, both sides. There's a delivery low for the ball, two and one. But in the heat of the race, and the eyes of the baseball world focused on you, 
It seems more harmful now than it did in the past. But it's quite obvious if you'd have won a few earlier, you wouldn't be in this predicament now, would you? Ball two, strike one to Bailey. Bouncing down to third, Hebner up with it. Throws across, and there are two down in the Expos. Ninth inning, and they lead three to two. That'll bring up John Bacabella. He's the man that hit the ball that everybody thought should have been caught. And when it wasn't, in came two very big runs. Singleton and Lytle. And Lytle got on on an error to begin with. So that every run in the seventh inning, all three unearned. Right-hand batting, John Bacabella. Justy fires it. It's lined out to right center. Over the head of Cash, who leaped but couldn't get it. Going over quickly, Zisk. And to second comes Bacabella. He's got a skidding double through the water. Ball bounces harmlessly off the glove of Cash. Up into the infield. So Bacabella has a double. That's the seventh hit of the game, and the batter will be Tim Foley. Struck out twice and one. him to go to Mike Marshall. And as Nellie told you earlier, he's not a bad hitter, having been an infielder before he started to pitch. But you're going for the percentage here. Marshall, by the way, got a base hit in the eighth inning. In his only at-bat thus far. Well, wherever you're listening throughout the world, the men and ladies of the armed forces, a speedy return home and a safe return home. And may you enjoy these baseball broadcasts. Uh, live in good health. Sort of an eerie feeling to realize that they're listening all over the world on American Forces Radio. Here's Mike Marshall standing in now, singled in the fourth inning and was out of the force play on a sensational grab by Cash on a ball hit by Jorgensen. Two down and two on in the ninth inning. 3-2 Montreal. Fly ball right field coming up for Zisk. He's got it, and that'll retire the side. No runs, one hit, no errors, two left. End of eight and a half. It's Montreal three and Pittsburgh two. Cesar Tovar confirmed Friday night that he would like to be traded from the Philadelphia Phillies. I'll go any place, said Tovar. I want to be traded because I haven't been playing. I've only played about 20 games this year, and that's not very many, he said. I thought I would play more. I'm disappointed because I like to play. Tovar said he had discussed his wishes with the Philly management. They didn't say yes, and they didn't say no, Tovar added. They just didn't say anything. English bred Apollo 9 was up in the final stride Friday at Belmont Park to upset heavily favored right on in the $15,000 allowance feature on turf. Closing fast into Wasito Vasquez, Apollo 9, a six-year-old gelding overtook right on the 7-10 favorite near the wire to score by a nose. Busted was a distant third, five and a half lengths behind the top two in the seven furlong sprint. Apollo 9 covered the distance over a firm course in 122 and a fifth and posting his fourth win of the year. As the second choice in the field of seven, Apollo 9 returns 622, 60, and 240, right on paid 240 and 220. Oh, 
Okay, the ninth inning now, and the bottom of the ninth, and the Bucks are down a run as Montreal leads three to two. If you're just tuning in in the fifth inning, for the Pirates with one out, Dal Maxville drew a walk off starting pitcher Steve Renko. Ellis sacrificed him up a notch. Dave Cash doubled him in to make it one to nothing. And then Gene Klein hit a ball to right and Singleton lost the ball in the light. And that drove in another run. The Pirates led 2 nothing. After they brought in Caskey, he stopped the Pirates. And then Marshall came in. And he's in there now. Doc Ellis won seven innings. And the three runs that scored in the seventh inning were unearned. But they're enough to put him in the soup unless the Bucks can bail him out. And the batter is Manny Sanguin. Mike Marshall, who has 113, lost 11, has 30 saves, and every record in the book for appearances and what have you. A right-hander and a right-hander here, going at it in the ninth inning. Pitch to Sanguin, and a breaking ball in there for a call strike. Dal Maxville, the on-deck batter. To follow him, Dave Parker, who batted in the... Uh, seventh inning and remained in the game in center field. The 0-1. Turned this one over high for the ball. One ball, one strike. No action of any kind in the Montreal bullpen as yet. But Mock has his best man going for him. And as of the moment, you're going to win or lose with him. How can you improve on 30 saves and 13 uh, victories? Here's the 1-1. Sangy hits a looper up towards second limp. He comes up and grabs it, and there's one out. He jammed him. And that'll bring up a batter for Maxville. Let's see who he's going to be. It's going to be Milt May. Milt May coming into bat here in the ninth with one out. Montreal leading three to two. Falling down to the fact that uh, New York and Chicago have a doubleheader tomorrow. In the meantime, the Cardinals and the Phillies, after their long rain delay, are resuming again, and the Cardinals lead the Phillies one nothing into four and a half. If the Expos sweep the Pirates, and if the Cardinals sweep the Phillies, and if the Cubs sweep the Mets, and the Pirates then are able to in the playoff come on and win, you'll have a five place tie. A ball. Huh? One and all to count. Here's the one oh pitch. And it's in there. That is, the Cardinals got to win two out of three. If they sweep, they could win it. They have more wins than anybody if that's the case. Cardinals would finish up 81 81. Montreal would finish up uh, 80-82. Cubs would finish up 80-82. Here's the 2-0 to Milt May. Mounts off the left side and Foley comes up. He throws in low but held by Jorgensen two out. Up Dave Parker, who struck out in the seventh inning. Montreal leading here, three to two in the ninth inning. Rink 
go. Castillo now Marshall. And it's Marshall trying for the victory. At the expense of Doc Ellis, who pitched the whale of a game, but his defenses let him down. You know, it's a peculiar thing. In the very first part of the season, Parker fouls back. Doc Ellis must have been victimized by his teammates defensively four or five different times. His record should be anything but 12 and 13. He could be up there around 17 victories. Take about five off the 13. He could be about 17 and 8. But for the manner in which uh, his teammates played behind him earlier in the year, that's just telling you the truth, and there's no denying that. Here's the 0-1 to Pucker High for a ball, one ball, one strike. Two down and none on. 3-2 Montreal, ninth inning. Two games remaining for the two ball clubs, Montreal and Pittsburgh, following tonight. Four games remaining for the Mets and the Cubs, and they start a doubleheader tomorrow. Here's the 1-1 to Parker, and he bounces it weakly off the third base side. Up comes Foley. Can't get it. It's a swing and bunt base hit to short. two out. The Pirates will bring up a young man who's had a hot bat. Dave Cash struck out, single, double to score a run and drive in a run and fly to center. And Parker, the fastest man on either ball club at first base with two out. And if Cash could get one in the gap somewhere, Parker could ride it home. something off the infield like a tennis ball has been thrown out there so Dave Cash the batter Parker got a swinging bunt toward short Foley overrunning the ball barehanding it trying to grab it and throw couldn't come up with it Bob Robertson the on deck batter in the event Cash keeps hitting rolling the outfield is going to play Dave to pull the ball Short lead at first to pitch. High inside, a ball right off the left shoulder. Montreal, three runs, seven hits. The Pirates, two runs on nine hits. The three runs for Montreal are all unearned runs. Ball one and no strikes to Dave Cash. Single and a double and four at bat. Mike Marshall, third Montreal pitcher. The right-hander checks Parker at first delivers. And he's in there on the inside corner for a call, striking it one and one. One ball and one strike. 27,804. Hang into the clip right here. Cash up in Montreal almost won the first of the last doubleheader with a home run, but it just went foul at the last moment. Here's the 1-1 delivery, and he ducks off the pitch, and he fouls it back. And the count is 1-2. and two. Cash hit a ball for a home run in Montreal. The Pirates finally won and lost the game 5-4. to four. But when I said he hit it for the home run, it was out of here a mile, and the wind blowing a gale to left field, and at the last moment, just took it out foul. And that's all part of this game of baseball. One ball and two strikes. The runner at first is Parker. Marshall, the third pitcher working to Dave Cash. Montreal leading 3-2, bottom of the ninth. Marshall has his sign now. Checks the runner in the 1-2 pitch. 
feet. Right back to Marshall. He's got it. Throws to first. The Expos have won the game by the score of 3-2. to two. Well, other Major League Baseball is still going on. San Francisco has scored a run on a home run by Dave Rader in the top of the 12th inning, his ninth of the year with nobody aboard. Cincinnati now batting in the bottom of the 12th, trailing of 3-2. to two. Philadelphia and St. Louis all knotted up at, or excuse us, St. Louis leading Philadelphia one to nothing after five full innings of play. No score between the Dodgers and San Diego after an inning and a half. In the American League, the Red Sox flip a pair from Milwaukee, eleven to two in the first game as Louis Tiant won his twentieth, five to three in the nightcap. Tommy Harper at his fifty-third stolen base of the season in the second game, and that establishes a new Boston Red Sox record. The Yankees defeated Detroit by a score of 4-1. Mel Stadelmeyer evened his record at 16-16 uh, on a three-run homer by Bobby Mercer. Texas came up with three runs at the bottom of the eighth, going to the ninth. Now lead Kansas City 5-4. Dick Billings a two-run homer in that inning. Just getting underway, Chicago at Oakland. It will be Jim McLaughlin going against Vida Blue. Also, Minnesota at California. It will be Fife against May. The Mets and the Cubs rained out in the National League. We've told you over and over about that. Now let's go back to Pittsburgh for a wrap-up. Well, Bob, we said earlier tonight, if you generally don't get beat, you wind up beating yourself. And we certainly beat ourselves tonight. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You get a man thrown out of third, you fail to carry home, you fail to catch a ball, and you make an error instead of getting the one out, and that's the name of the game. And the Expos stayed uh, tough. Several three years ago, you could have played Montreal this way when they were playing the type of ball they played, and you could make two or three errors uh, of omission and commission and still win the ball game. But you can't say that uh, play that kind of baseball now against the Montreal Ball Club. And errors of omission and commission can be extremely costly, and they were tonight. Montreal three runs, seven hits, no errors. Pittsburgh two nine and one. Marshall, the winner, he's 14 and 11 with 30 saves on top of that. How's that grab you? Ellis, the loser, 12 and 14. Didn't deserve it, but he picked it up. The three runs that scored on him in the seventh inning were all unearned. Behind Ellis came Dave Justy just to try to stop Montreal, which he did, and to give the Bucks the chance to come on and win it, which they didn't. Kasky and Marshall after Rinko. So that's it. Montreal wins it 3 2, and as they say, Nelly, we can only say it perhaps two more times. There's another game tomorrow. Yes, and the way things are going, you still got a possibility for a five-way tie here because out in St. Louis, they lead one to nothing after four and a half, and guess what? He's training again. If they get rained out, that's an official ball game for them. So everybody got a chance to win it. Five teams going into the final two days of the season. So don't count anybody out, the Pirates included. Well, we'll be back to do it again tomorrow, the weatherman permitting, and hopefully we'll do that. Steve Rogers, who's been an amazing pitcher for Montreal, will go against the Bucks Nelly Browse, and we'll have it for you here on radio.